Seinfeld, the Fusilli Jerry is over and has been for quite some time, but we're just getting started here on the Seinfeld Post Show Recap, a podcast about nothing. And now, here are the two guys who I have on good authority have no moves. I am Rob Sister, and he's the Keeper Winnaker. Cam, how are you? I, uh, I bet myself $100 that would be your introduction, so <laughs> let me just pay myself. <laughs> I hope I'm not speaking out of school, Akiva. No, no, we have no moves. That would have been, if you didn't say it, I would have said it. That, yeah. That's it's the truth. <laughs> it's the truth. We didn't okay. even know there were moves until, until just now. Well, plenty to talk about with this. Uh, I'm sure we're going to open up a uh, very unhappy can of worms here on this episode of the podcast. Very excited to talk about The Few Silly Jerry. Again, one of my favorite episodes uh, on the heels of last week's show. And uh, very excited to get into this. Uh, yeah, definitely a well-known episode. Uh, Actually, a lot going the on. Doodle wasn't one of my favorite episodes, but we're coming on the heels of the Jimmy, which was one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, pretty strong stretch to end season six. Really only got a couple left after this one. Uh, and then we're almost done. Yeah. All right. So we're going to be going back to uh, Fusilli Jerry. This is going to be from April 27th, 1995. So uh, excited to talk about that. Akiva, how's your week been? How's it going, Keeve? I haven't spoken to Chester all week, so it's actually been a pretty good week. <laughs> he went, He's out in L.A. in your neck of the woods. Yes. Uh, I don't know, maybe doing his, his research on something. I'm not sure what he's doing. Okay. But uh, I think he's at a, he's at a, a conference for uh, podcast commenters. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, I'm pretty sure that's where he was. But uh, no, I had a good week other than the Mets uh, keep losing. Who knows? Um, well, they may, might be winning by this point, by the time people listen to this. Yeah, hopefully they've won at least one game by the time people hear it. Uh, um, yeah, other than that, I think uh, things are good. Okay. Any Seinfeld-related news or happenings you want to talk about before we get into the episode? Sure. I'll start with a, a bit of sad news. Oh, no. Uh, yesterday, May 16th, was the 20th anniversary of the death of a very important uh, Seinfeld character. Yeah, okay, I did see this headline. Yeah, it's uh, it's the 20th anniversary of the death of uh, one Susan Ross. Yes, yeah, fun fact, Susan. <laughs> we lost Susan 20 years ago today. Yes, thanks uh, at April Bathes for uh, for sending us that uh, info. I, you know who would who would keep track of the uh, you know fake the fake <laughs> characters' deaths, but someone does. Okay, get um, Jordan Kalish on for this week in Seinfeld history. <laughs> For the, but is it for the real characters or the fake characters? <laughs> I mean, I think it's for the... I mean, who are the fake characters? Like the TV characters. Oh. It's not for like uh, Julia and Jerry yeah, and Michael. Yeah, I would say the real actors or the, or the characters. Uh, and other news, we had um, a debate last week about uh, what PETA's stance on insects was yes. after Jerry's stand-up. <laughs> and uh, PETA actually got back to us, the great Paul Borges... Yes. Uh, can always comes through in the clutch, Paul Borges. Yes. Uh, he, he tweeted to PETA and said, what's your stance on mosquitoes? And they got back to him and they said, uh, they sent us a link. Yes. And I guess I'll read a little bit of it. Uh, so the, uh, the article here is titled, What About Insects and Other Pets? Here on PETA.org. And uh, it shouldn't be called PETA because, it, you know, it's pets. Mm. <laughs> Anything about that. Anyway, uh, they say uh, all animals have feelings and have a right to live free from unnecessary suffering, regardless of whether they're considered pests or ugly. And mm-hmm. as with our dealings with our fellow humans, the determination of when lethal defense against insects and animals is acceptable must be judged on a case-by-case basis, taking into account the level of the threat and the alternatives that are available. As Albert Schweitzer once said, each of us must live daily from judgment to judgment, citing each case 
as it arises as wisely and mercifully as we can. Yeah. We realize that aggressive methods of defense must sometimes be resorted to under dire circumstances, whether the attacker is a flea, a bear, or a knife-wielding mugger. Mm. But PETA encourages non-lethal methods of insect and rodent control wherever possible. So I don't think they want you to shoot the insect. Yeah, I think they really are taking a half measure here. I'd love to see somebody run into one of these PETA meetings with like a box of cockroaches and throw them up in the air and see what happens. Uh, They'll be stomping them left and right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't like hypocrisy. I don't like cruelty to animals, but I don't like hypocrisy either. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah, but there is like the expression like he wouldn't hurt a fly. That has to, there has to be some people that just <laughs> will not, you know, they don't swat flies and they don't step on ants and they don't, you know, yeah. kill mosquitoes with their shoe. Do no harm. Do no harm. Like Morgan. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that at some point, you know, the the... The, the bugs are, you know, I, you got you to gotta just take them out. If they're in your house, you got to take them out. They'll, they'll take you out if they can. Yeah, I do think, um, yeah, it's a, it's a liver. Yeah, it's a, it, there's only room for one of us in this house. The yeah, Walking even the, Dead has changed my viewpoint on the bugs. I feel like you got to get, get them before they get us. Uh, there's a lot of, like, pretty serious questions on this website also. Is Tattoo Inc. vegan? I guess that's not something I need to know. <laughs> yeah, don't like worry about that. For different reasons. Um, but I think... Uh, yeah, it's a little half-hearted that they're that you know they basically like be nice to mosquitoes if you can, but I feel like when they're not looking, they're okay if you swat a mosquito. They're not gonna like protest outside your house, Michael Vick style. Right? They know it's a fine line of hypocrisy, and then that's just a really easy ground to attack them on if they say, "Ah, oh, no, you can kill bugs. That's fine." But it is a slippery slope. Once you slippery start killing slope. bugs, then then it's like <laughs> lizards, and then you get to, like cats and dogs and. It, it, where does it end? Where are you drawing the line? I have no idea. All right. Uh, let's get into talking about uh, the Fusilli Jerry. Of course, uh, we appreciate it when you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss any of these Seinfeld recaps uh, coming up. We've got, what, three episodes left here in season six? Yep. Okay. Uh, make sure you subscribe. You don't miss any of them. Postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. All right. So let's talk about Fusilli Jerry from April 27, 1995. Uh, this episode is written by a mishmash. Gross, Marjorie Gross, Jonathan Gross, Ron Haig, and Charlie Rubin. A mishmash. Yes, I think uh, they have two different types of credits. I think uh, the teleplay credit goes to uh, Marjorie, Marjorie Gross. Gross. Uh, Marjorie Gross, uh, this is her second episode. She's no longer with us. She died during the run of this series, and I believe one of the season premieres. I think the season eight premiere is dedicated to her. Mm-hmm. A lot of cooks in the kitchen for a few silly Jerry. Well, I think ultimately, like when they have a lot of writers, it's just like oh, they're at the end of the year and they want to give everyone a writing credit. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, from uh, from what it seems like they went through a lot of the minor writers, like would each get one season that kind of discard them once they, you know, squeezed out their best idea or two. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a, I think it's more of like a union thing. Like everyone, everyone gets a credit. So they think about what that credit's worth now, like what, you know. A writing credit every time it re-airs. You probably get like a thousand bucks or five hundred bucks and okay. these shows re-air a million times. You'll take it. All right. So Jerry's opening stand-up is about when the car is broken down and you're out on the road. Uh it talks about what it's like to be a man to go and do that. Akiva, does this hold up where basically Jerry says that you have to open up the hood and the best part about that is it obscures her view so she can't see what you're doing. In 2016 if you are a person who is not a car person, are you even opening up the hood? 
Are, are you just like immediately going to your phone or app to try to get somebody in, in out there? And is manliness so attached to the ability to fix a car? First of all, I don't even know how to open up a hood, so I'm not opening up. <laughs> you a couldn't hood. even get it open. I couldn't even get a hood open. Forget it. <laughs> Second of all, yeah, this is this is a pretty typical. Men are this way, women are that way. Stand up, where you know, you know, we live in 2016, post gender society, yada yada yada. There's no, you know, if I, as a noted feminist, like if my car breaks down, my wife is probably much more likely to fix it than I am. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. This gets into this first scene, and I want to continue this conversation where Jerry and Elaine are on the street, and we find out that Elaine is dating David Putty. First mention of Putty in the series and he's supposed to be a friend of jerry's we find out that both jerry and george take their cars to putty and now elaine is dating him now how did elaine meet putty yeah how how did they meet i guess she took her car to him and then they started does elaine have a car that's a good question uh we if so since when right it's a fair point we've really never heard of any sort of elaine having car she's always in cabs but I think for the purpose of this episode, she has to have some sort of car. Yeah. Uh, we see Kramer has a car when it's convenient at the beginning of the series. Towards, you know, now at this point, I think he per- permanently has one. Mm-hmm. And Jerry has different types of cars. It's a good question. I don't think Elaine has a car, but like, could she have taken Jerry's car in and that's how she met him? Why? Well, Jerry is like, hey, could you take my car to the mechanic for me, Elaine? I mean, she's like, a, you know, she's been asked favors like that from Jerry before. Yeah. What is she? His butler? Did she get into some sort of an accident, have to be sentenced to go do errands for him? I mean, that's a huge favor. Can you take my car to the mechanic for me? It is a huge favor. I mean, we've asked, we've seen Jerry with some big asks in terms of favors already. <laughs> He's but. the ask man. He is the ask man. <laughs> Put that on a license plate. Yeah. All right. So Jerry is like annoyed. He's like, he could have asked me. He's supposed to be my friend. Obviously, you care about who your ex dates. Yeah, and this is a weird conversation because it's almost like, why haven't we had this conversation a hundred times like Jerry has a new girlfriend every single episode. Is it just because that Jerry is ostensibly Putty's friend, even though we've never heard of him before? Mm-hmm. And is your mechanic really your friend? I mean, it seems like, OK, they, he goes there. They have sort of like, I guess, like a sex talk when they're in the garage. But does that make him his friend? Does Jerry hang out with Putty? If Elaine had said to Jerry, like, I won't date your best friends. Give me your top five or even your top ten. And we'll declare them off limits. And then, you know, everyone after that is fair game. But, you know, I will I will sort of make these uh, like no go zones with the top five or top ten. I can't imagine Putty would have been in the top five or ten. No, maybe there was some sort of get together somewhere and Putty came like, hey, come out to my show or something like that. And Putty was there and then Elaine got his number. So it's possible that they could have met sort of by proxy through Jerry, but not necessarily as like a sort of setup. Yeah, either way, it's not really a big violation for Elaine to date this guy. No. All right. So Jerry says to Elaine, I couldn't see you with a mechanic. And Elaine gives a whole spiel about how, oh, these mechanics with their big muscular arms and machines and they come home with animal sexuality. Uh, Oh, that would be such a turnoff to to be with a mechanic. Does that still hold true today? Does whatever Elaine is holding on to in 1995 are women in 2016 saying, oh, mechanic? Did you get the Stanley Kowalski reference first of I all? I did not, no. It's uh, from A Streetcar Named Desire. I guess he was a mechanic. Okay. 
or something or or he worked with his hands in some capacity yes um does i don't know does that hold up why i mean mechanics are still mechanics uh is that like a job that that you know they pick up a lot of ladies i i really couldn't tell you i've never heard that before but i'm sure that you know i would imagine that there are things that are heavy in terms of being a mechanic i'd love to hear from some, some of our female correspondents on this so maybe i'm i'm totally missing this but I am interested to know if that's still a thing. Yeah. I or think, if it uh, ever was a thing. Yeah. Like, are basically, are you, simple question, are you attracted to mechanics? Yeah. Because, I mean, there what are, is like the profession that's number one, you know, for ladies? Like, what do you think they're most, which profession of men are women most attracted to? Doctor. I was going to say CEO. Is <laughs> <laughs> that right? Um, but if you were going to say like a, number one? I think doctor's probably number one. I think there's really two ways to go. I think sort of like a doctor... And then the other side, like there's the well-paying jobs and then this sort of like blue collar professional sort of like your firefighter, police officer, podcaster. I think those sure. are sort of. Sort I of, think about firefighter, please. I got it. Um, <laughs> uh, what about the uh, like the double whammy, which is the athlete? So you have like the athletic, you know, build. Mm-hmm. Because you're, professional you know, you're, athlete, sure, pro- sure. obviously not yeah. like a not like a guy who goes running and asks people to donate to his 10k. Yeah, um, I think uh, that's sort of the best of both worlds. Although you know who does the best, I think even even better than athletes are lead singers of bands. Yeah, musician, sure. For sure. whatever reason, musicians in particular, like whoever the band leader is, nobody's coming close to them. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so a study was done, uh, or, or at least revealed, uh, earlier this year, Tinder revealed the most attractive jobs for men and for women. And so, uh, the most attractive jobs for men to have, according to Tinder, the most, they get the most swipe rights. That's the direction that you want. Uh, they had said pilot. I would not. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, founder slash entrepreneur. <laughs> okay. Firefighter, yep. so that's still there. Doctor, <laughs> TV radio personality, that's podcaster, right? Sort of, yeah. <laughs> we talk about TV on the Teacher, radio. Teacher sort of. would not have guessed that. Would not have guessed that. Because that's not really manual labor or a well-paying job. I just think that's like, see, that's sort of why this is probably a flawed study. Mm-hmm. Because it's probably like one of the like two or three most common professions. Mm-hmm. You know, just putting down teacher, other than maybe lawyer. That's yeah. probably, yeah. you know, number one or two. May, that, there's probably more teachers than doctors. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, I don't know. That's almost like the mean. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, teacher. I'm, I like I'm, That's kind of bogus. Also rounding out the list, engineer, model, okay. paramedic, college student, lawyer, personal trainer, financial advisor, police officer, military. So they're, they're really What's basically. the worst? <laughs> I, they don't have it. They just say that these were the most right swiped occupations. But that's, again, it's not a. Um, <laughs> Falcon. Is that, is that percentage wise? That could even be cumulative, you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Another. I don't, I don't trust Tinder studies here. Yeah. Yeah. Another uh, quick study. Uh, this is from uh, therichest.com. Top ten sexiest jobs for men. They have ten engineer, nine police officer, eight artist, seven musician. You had that as number one. Uh, six athlete, five entrepreneur, four firefighter. Three lawyer, two doctor, and number one, we we haven't come up with this yet. Chef, chef makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're like the lead singer of the kitchen. 
That's funny. All right. Uh, so let's get into then George at Monk's with his mom. And uh, they're talking about the lobster on the menu at Monk's. Who's getting the lobster at Monk's? Have you ever been to a diner or any place like that where they have something like a lobster? No, I probably wouldn't be at a place that had lobster. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not, uh, you know, it would be hard to have lobster and to be kosher at the same time. <laughs> got it. Got it. Have you seen The Lobster with Colin Farrell? That came out this week. No, I have not. I don't know. Uh, sounds good. If <laughs> you say so. Is that kosher? The, to see the movie? I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I, we need someone to check it out first, make sure it's okay for us. Okay. So uh, we find out that Estelle is getting an eye job because we find out she is a divorcee. And George says, you're not a divorcee. You're just being separated. We talked about last week when is going to be the next time we uh, get an update on the Costanzas. We last saw them where Frank Costanza was living with George uh, and staying at his place. But in this episode that you have Estelle talking about how they're divorced, she needs a ride. Yet Frank seems to be around and living in the house. Yeah, he's definitely not living with George. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there may be one implication that he lives in in a third place. Mm-hmm. He seems um, to have free reign of the Costanza house. We see him there yes. twice in this episode. Yeah, when you say they're separated, like if they're not actually divorced, then they, how could they be separated if they're living in the same house? That you know, you could be divorced and living in the same house, even. But I don't know if you'd ever say you're separated if you're living in the same house. You're right. You know, that doesn't really make sense. It doesn't so I, really I do make think. Sense. It's a little sloppy of them, but I think he's sort of living maybe in an apartment like down the block or something. And so because he's living in an apartment by himself after the incident with the Fusilli, they bring him back to his house so Estelle can take care of him. Yeah, I think I I think he's he's coming for meals even at this point. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, she needs to get an eye job because she's out there now. She's out there. She needs to get this work done. And George is upset because she can't be out there because if he's out there, she can't be out there also. Yeah, I mean, it is. You're talking about Tinder and there is sort of this funny thing where like, what if they found each other on Tinder? (laughs) Like, what if you found? I mean, I'm sure this happened. Like, what if somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, sees their like gets offered their sister on Tinder? Yeah, that's like. Yeah, what does Tinder do? Does Tinder like sort of, because I think it works through Facebook. I don't know for sure. Uh, But does it say, oh, okay, these people are related, so it takes them out of the mix? Is it smart enough to do that? We need some of our... I feel uh, like they weren't weren't at first, and now I bet it's happened so much that they sort of maybe, you know, because it's sort of attached to Facebook... But I've never the heard that story from people. Like, that do you think that people it happens to people and they're just like so mortified that they don't say anything? I think it, it would be a funny story. I feel I feel like if it happened, somebody would be here. I'm going to search on Twitter, matched with sister Tinder, and see what comes up. Watch, watch it. Careful with those some of those search <laughs> <Yeah>. terms. <laughs> your wife's going to check your search history. I think that's, that's true. what we you're looking to, we have for. We have to clear the cache after. It was for the podcast. It was for the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen <laughs> when the guy you're seeing matches with your sister, but that's a woman saying that. It's no, so we don't know. Here's yeah. the thing. Rob and I uh, are, you know, we're, we don't have Tinder, so we need a Tinder correspondent. Yeah, that would be We good. need someone to answer the tough questions for us. Yeah, Because we don't like- want it. We can't download the app for research because that, you know, then we'll actually need it a few months after that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Estelle needs a ride to the eye doctor and they don't know how it's going to work because George has a meeting with the Yankees. Kramer comes in. And so Kramer is going to get involved with uh, taking Estelle to the eye doctor. It's sort of odd here that uh, Estelle is talking about her 
procedure. Kramer wants to know who she's going to. Uh, she says, a Dr. Bakersall. And he says, uh, he's, oh, he's good. He worked on some kid from Guatemala with no nose and turned him into Ricardo Montalban. Yeah. So first <laughs> of all, Kramer really has like a, an index of every doctor in Manhattan, you know, in his head. <laughs> Yeah. Is, does Kramer actually know or he's just sort of like uh, making small talk and pretending to know? Well, it could be that he's lying, but it's also like maybe this was in the paper, mm-hmm. you know, and Kramer's Kramer's looking at it. And, uh, you know, he, he just saw it a few weeks ago and he's it's on his mind. He's like, oh, yeah, that's an unusual enough name. I know that guy. He's good. OK, so Kramer needs to go pick up license plates and he needs to go to the DMV to do that. And it's sort of funny when George sends him off, he tells him, well, giddy up he uses his uh giddy he giddy ups kramer yeah i think uh do you even have to pick up your license plates don't they mail them to you i don't know what they were doing in 1995 that's a good point i feel like maybe i mean they were probably still mailing them Mm. okay so kramer needs to go pick up his plates and the woman looks it up and she hands the plates over to him in an envelope he opens the envelope to reveal the license plate ass man. <laughs> yeah, so the the uh, the DMV lady here is actually really good. Yeah, they're great scenes. So he says, no, these don't belong to me. I'm, I'm not the ass man. Uh, and she looks it up. What's your name? Kramer. And she says, no, Cosmo Kramer. You are the ass man. <laughs> She's very deadpan. Yeah. And he says, no, I'm not the ass man. And she has this really great line. Well, as far as the state of New York is concerned, you are. <laughs> All right. So I uh, love the ass man license plate. Could you get ass man on a license plate? I feel like that, that, you know, we've talked about on some of these other podcasts that I've done where people have license plates that say like 666 and that's getting taken away. I mean, how salacious could you get with your license plate? I think uh, when we get to the uh, the viewer mailbag, we have a lot of answers to that question. Okay, Good, good. Uh, so I wonder maybe if the ass man, the proctologist, had some pull where he was able to uh, get this license plate made. But oh, you think that's what it is? If you have connections, like <laughs> you slip someone in like De Blasio's uh, <laughs> cabinet, apparently you could slip them a five at this point, and they do that for you. <laughs> well, we'll explore it. So Elaine and Putty are in bed, and we see that Elaine is—we uh, can't really tell—upset, disappointed. What the problem is here? And Putty's asking her. Uh, so uh, what's going on? At first on-screen appearance of Putty, by the way. Great job by by Putty. Yeah, uh, Patrick Warburton appears uh, only 10 times. You know, I, you feel like it's a little more, but there's only 10 Putty appearances in the series. Wow. That, I, that, I feel like I would be way over, if you ask me. I would say like 35. Right. But again, we, you know, it hasn't started and we only have three episodes left of uh, season six. So he comes and goes. Okay. All right. So... Here's Putty, and uh, he's asking, what's the matter? What's wrong? Nothing, nothing, nothing. All right, so we get to Elaine and Jerry at Monk's, and we start to get to the bottom of what's going on here. And Elaine reveals to Jerry he did the move. It's funny. Their, like, kiss-and-tell rules really vary by episode. Yeah. (laughs) Because sometimes it's like, oh, I don't want to know. Yeah. You know, and now it's like, now they're having, like, very explicit talk here. Yes, very explicit uh, sexy talk. And he did the move. David Putty used my move. And she's like, there's no confusing that move with any other move. And Jerry's like, I got to go shut that down. Elaine's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, you know, hey, that's that's a good move. What are, you, what are you talking about? Now, here's what I am very confused about, because I feel like that we have a violation in the canon of Seinfeld here at this point, where okay. Elaine 
is able to recognize this move, this very good move, this amazing move that somehow Jerry, the sexual Lothario, has mastered to this point that he says to George in this episode, if you master this move, you'll never be lonely again. Yet, during the entire sexual relationship between Jerry and Elaine, Elaine had to fake. She faked. She said that I just wasn't having any sort of climax at that point. I had to fake. So which is it, Elaine? Did Jerry invent this masterful, wonderful move that Putty has now robbed because it was such a great move? Or what gives? Okay, so here's what I think. Obviously, we've both spent a lot of time thinking about this this week. I think Jerry, remember, during the entire course of the relationship, Jerry had no idea his moves were not working. Mm -hmm. And Jerry's been with dozens of women since. Mm -hmm. In his mind, this move worked wonderfully with Elaine and probably did work well with, you know, all of the post-Elaine women. So he had no reason to believe that it just didn't work on Elaine. Okay. Now, Elaine was not attached to the move, but now Putty uses it and it seems like it actually worked uh, better than it did when Jerry was involved. Uh, so now Elaine is attached to this move, which didn't really work, maybe, uh, you know, to a degree, but not to the degree it works with Putty. And so she's invested in the move because it's working now. And Jerry's invested in the move because it's been working since. Okay. Does that make sense? Uh, I hear I hear that. Let me add to this equation. Is it possible that the real uh, clincher here in the move is not the clockwise swirl as Jerry advertises, but maybe the pinch is the ultimate secret ingredient in this move as Putty has figured out. Yeah, that's very possible. Mm. Uh, Interesting. Also, is it possible also that, and I think this maybe builds on what you're saying, that, Elaine thinks that Putty is a hotter guy and that there is more sort of animal attraction to Putty than there was to Jerry while they're operating from the same playbook that maybe just uh, from a pheromone perspective, Elaine is just more turned on by Putty than she is with Jerry. Yeah, it's very possible. I feel like every woman has shut off the podcast at this point. <laughs> That where we need your help. Yeah, we need. We the, everyone is like frantically, hopefully, emailing us, like <laughs> explaining basic stuff. So. You idiots! <laughs> Have either of you ever met a woman before? No, <laughs> barely. <laughs> so Jerry is obviously upset. He feels like this is like another comedian stealing my material. <laughs> yeah, and obviously this, if you're paying close attention, the entire stealing the move uh, storyline is, is you know, very clearly just parroting the, you know, the idea of a comedian who someone steals their their jokes. And, you know, they don't really uh, do a good job of hiding it. You know, they, they do things like calling it hack and, uh, you know, clearly saying that, you know, you can't do my material in the city, which was clearly a conversation that comedians had with other comedians in the 90s. Yeah. Now, the interesting part of all this is that we are introduced to the fact that Putty is such an honest mechanic, and this does seem to be a conflict in his character. So do you feel like that is this just apples and oranges, that he's just very honest in terms of his day job, but he sort of like lacks creativity where he has to steal other people's moves in the bedroom or he just overhears them 
and sort of just like uh, sort of like subconsciously does these things. What do you how do you reconcile these two things about Putty? Well, I don't think he stole it. I think Jerry told it to him. Um, and yeah, maybe he doesn't have enough creativity to come up with his own move. But he also has the integrity that it even bothers him a little bit that Jerry brought it up because most people would just say, let's just not tell Jerry that we're doing this. Right. Like, or, I mean, a hundred reasons why Jerry doesn't need to know that we're doing. This. Yes. As we've touched on in the opening, look, I have no moves. OK, but if I heard a move <laughs> from somebody from somebody and uh, and for and for some reason uh, that, you know, I even had the opportunity to attempt a move. I mean, is a move copyrighted? Like, hypothetically, let's say I could dance and I saw somebody else doing a cool dance. Am I not supposed to do a dance that I've seen somewhere because somebody else does it? As a, I feel like a joke is sort of like that there is a copyright to that. Is some sort of a physical act? Is there a copyright on that, Akiva? It's a really good question. I was also thinking of it in terms of like a stock tip, right? Mm-hmm. Like I once had a friend get a really good stock tip. And he didn't tell me and and, he, you know, the stock doubled or tripled or whatever. And I was annoyed. But he did say, like, well, if I told everyone, then like maybe the stock, you know, it wouldn't be good anymore. I don't know that everyone would buy it and it would. Well, I don't know how stocks work, but I know that <laughs> about as much stocks as I do about women. Yeah, there's literally nothing. Um, but the point is, like, I, it does it. Is it the exact same as a stock where it's like there is diminishing return? If every single person on Earth wants to buy this stock, then you can't buy it as cheaply, let's say. Whereas here, like, there's, you know, like, why wouldn't you tell your friends this move? Like, there's no, it's not like you're in direct competition. Like, there's an infinite number of men and women out there, basically. Like, you're not really competing. Even though George says that him and his mom are in the same (laughs) dating pool, you're not really competing with individual people for dates. Yeah. You know, I have a little bit of understanding from where Jerry's coming from. It's sort of like because he's so used to comedians stealing his jokes. He might not know how to react to people stealing his moves in the bedroom. But I just don't understand why Elaine seems so taken aback in the previous scene where you feel like that she should have been like, oh, pretty happy. Oh, this is great news. Putty knows the move. Fantastic. Oh, this is wonderful. Jerry, funny thing. Did you know Putty does the same move that you do? Did he teach it to you? Uh, she seems like aghast that the move happened to her. Yeah, I don't know why she's so shocked. Also, I guess maybe she's like ultimately deep down loves Jerry, and this like makes her think of Jerry. Oh, but wow! It it is a little it like why does it bother her? Like, why, first of all, why is she bring it up? Second of all, why like why why is she bring it up in a bad way? Right? It, it makes no sense. She should be like if she likes it, she should be happy that he knows it. Yeah, of course. There's not real. I don't understand what Elaine's motivation here is. Other than making conversation and keeping the show going. But it's uh, it is it is interesting. I think I don't you know, I don't know. This is, uh, you know, the I, I'm not exactly we really needed someone who knows those women better than us. Yes, this. really. Uh, yeah, if we had any woman's phone number, we could just uh, call them in and, and, and uh, get the answers. Well, to that would be uh, like an interesting conversation, like unplanned, like just calling one of our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> like, uh, where, where are you at work? OK, uh, close your office door for a second. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and not even a conversation that I want to have with my because I don't want to hear what moves what moves she knows or a, a, anything like anything like that. Yeah, that of course I don't not. Want, it's, and, uh, I, and also, like, I don't even think I mean, if we're going to do real talk here for a second, I, I could you ever see yourself having this conversation with a male friend hmm. of, hey, 
Uh, you know what move I did, which really worked great, or you know what I do that they really loved, like so that sort of conversation. That that if it was like a, a, someone who had very little experience, let's say they were, you know, they were like just getting married or something, and like it was, you know, or someone who had who had, you know, who for whatever reason were like were married for five years, yeah, yeah, or like a right a college kid, you know what I mean? Like someone for whatever reason okay. had very little, you know, very little experience. That that would be one thing to be like. Like, here's a tip, you know, and then like it would have to come from someone who actually knew their stuff. Like, I feel like, uh, you know, nobody like there's only a certain type of person that you want a tip from to begin with. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it wouldn't be like someone like you or me. Okay. But but you know what I mean? Like, I just but if we're, you know, going outside the show for a second. I just can't imagine having. Do you think this is more of a guy thing or a women thing? Because there's making it seem like this is the type of thing men talk about uh, in the garage. And I right. feel like. It, they men might would be more likely to brag or you know or tell stories in the garage or like you know like rate attractiveness of women or something like that but I actually think that women would be more likely to share the move. Right. I think that this is also something that's sort of been a well-documented trope in terms of that. I think that women do have the impression that, you know, guys might get really like uh, clinical about this and this and this. Uh, but I think that the reality in a sort of like, quote unquote, garage or locker room situation might just be more along the lines of the headline of I blanked with blank and and, you know, very few other details. Like, I, I don't think we're really getting into the play by play and the accounts that I tend to think that at least from what I've seen on television, that this might be something more that women might be getting into than a bunch of guys standing around talking. Yeah, I, I concur. Because I think that there's way too many opportunities for, you know, ball breaking. And I'm talking about in the figurative sense uh, and like a sort of like name calling and stuff like this. You know, you could yeah, say it's one too thing earnest. Wrong. The right. whole story, the whole thing is too earnest. You, you, you'd go there and you, and by earnest, I mean, Ernest goes to jail. He had a lot of good, <laughs> the, the, you know, it's like you, yeah, if you're, you know, if you're giving like may one-on-one, I maybe it would, it would be awkward, but I feel like it would at least be more acceptable. If you're like getting like really sp- like scientific in a room, of like six dudes, like in a, in a garage, I think they're going to they're going to rag on you forever about it. Right. Like there is no way that Jerry walks out of a conversation with like a bunch of guy friends without the nickname clockwise swirl after oh, that. Oh, totally, <laughs> totally. 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 <laughs> All right. So Jerry and George are on the street. And interestingly enough, Jerry is opening up another candy bar. Apparently did not learn his lessons from his encounter with Tim Watley a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we got to get Watley back on screen. So he's got to, you know, he's got to get some cavities. All right. So George is saying, what, you told your move to Putty, but you didn't tell me? Again, I feel like this always happens where George finds out that Jerry had any sort of meaningful conversation with another person is always upset about that. Wait, wait, why, why didn't you have that talk with me? Yeah, George is very needy. I think he would really prefer it if Jerry only had one friend. Yeah. All right. So George can't believe Jerry is hoarding all of the sex moves. And George really could use a sex move because he is with this woman. I believe her name is Nancy. And she is extremely bored during their lovemaking. It's like she's doing her nails. Yeah, I I do like that they named her. We don't see much from her. I think we only see her in bed a couple times. But they named her Nancy Clopper, which is like such a 
like a I don't you know if they're trying to make like so, you know someone who has like a negative sort of connotation like around her and just like a bad vibe. I feel like Nancy Clopper is a great name. Yeah, he says he's working like a dog here. He would take a belch for God's sakes. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like Nancy Clopper is with George. In his in his sheets, like his Montreal Expo sheets, that you know, <laughs> like she's probably spending the whole time like crying. You know, if if it was 2016, she'd literally be texting her friends like, you know, the whole time, like like what have I done to deserve this? Like why is my life at rock bottom? Mm-hmm. Now, just going back to George with the woman with the risotto, uh, where he accused her of faking. I mean, what was it that he did differently that time? It was just that he ate the mango. Was that was that what it was? Or I'm getting my episodes confused. Why? How did he fix where the woman he was dating in that episode was unsatisfied with his lovemaking? Uh, and then he accused her of faking once she was satisfied with what he was doing. You know, first, George has a few times uh, that that is the mango. But George has a few times where he has very specific. They're usually it's usually food based. Like in a later episode when he when he has to bring a sandwich to bed, but and watch TV. But he does have sort of like very specific conditions where he can perform. Okay, <laughs> so the mango for whatever reason uh, brought out the best in him. Maybe he's thinking. Maybe he might want to go. But maybe they're, if they're banned from Joe's, maybe uh, that's why they can't get their hands on a mango these days. Anyway, so Jerry starts to describe the move now. Also. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like that the, what they say about this move kind of makes all, almost no sense. In what way? Right. I mean, if you were trying to like if you were trying to like piece together the actual move, uh, I think it's almost pretty nonsensical in terms of what you would actually att- uh, attempt to be doing. Yeah, I think when this episode aired and I was, you know, 11 or 12, <laughs> yeah. I think this set me back like five to 10 years <laughs> trying to figure out what was going on here. Okay, so we find out that you need a headboard. Uh, a headboard is required for the move, and uh, padded is bad. You want an unpadded headboard uh, to start, okay? <laughs> Not sure why. <laughs> These are very specific requirements. <laughs> also, you want to have a, no more than a one-foot height differential between the man and the woman here. Uh, she's five foot four, so that's fine. But again, with this headboard thing, I mean, when we see in the aftermath that, you know, it's not like you would imagine like, okay, she's, you know, she's tied up to the headboard or anything. Again, I'm not sure exactly why the headboard is required uh, in anything we're talking about here. Yeah. And it's not it's not made clear. I'm not sure. You know, one, we're talking about like men versus women, that sort of thing. But we did mention Marjorie Rubin wrote this episode. So it is it is interesting that we're almost getting like a female perspective here. Whatever. I don't know what she wrote that made it to the final, you know, uh, you know, filming. But it is I guess it is, you know, worth thinking about that. The woman wrote the episode. Right. Also, the one foot differential in heights. Again, Jerry says you could really hurt your neck. Again, I am not really understanding why the height differential uh, is such a factor here in terms of the move, in terms of what we're seeing the move is like. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) The one foot is also a huge differential. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right, so we get back to Jerry's apartment. He's still talking about the move. He says he ends with the swirl. Uh, He likes the swirl. He's comfortable with the swirl. Uh, He feels like the swirl is a great uh, capper. Um, Putty likes the pinch, which uh, Jerry finds presumptuous. Uh, It's a clockwise swirl. Um, 
do without getting uh too clinical oh i mean what 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 part of the body is swirling here <laughs> is it a is it a finger is it a tongue is it something else because if putty is pinching i feel like yeah. i feel like that that leads us to a, it, this is a digit okay so i i did a little bit of research today okay people were saying you know basically what is the move, right? Mm-hmm. Right. This question has been asked, you know, for 20 years. Mm-hmm. What exactly is is Jerry's move? And I did see a funny, uh, you know, Reddit thread. There's a there's an article from Bustle. Yes. You know, what exactly, like, what is the counterclockwise swirl? What is Jerry talking about? Clockwise <laughs> swirl for Jerry. George does right. the counterclockwise swirl. Uh, and I can't read uh, one word of the answer. I'm not going to read one word of the answer. Okay. But if send you me, Google, I feel like... Send me a you link. Could, right. You want it now? <laughs> sure. Okay. But, uh, you know, I I think, um, you know, probably ultimately... Should this be the first question we ask Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> like, All right. Uh, we've been waiting years and years to uh, get this man on the line with us. He is uh, the all-time greatest comedian, uh, stand-up comedian... That there ever was uh, the co-creator of Seinfeld. Please welcome uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry, how are you? Uh, first question: uh, Could you tell us a little bit more in specific detail about the move? <laughs> what move? Which part of the body is clockwise swirling? Is that one? And I actually, one I actually full rotation? think they do like a good job of being vague. Yeah, like there really is no answer to this question. It's like one of those like uh, M.C. Escher paintings if you really are trying to think about what's going on here, right? Yeah, I do. I think, I, you know, I think we're spending more time than they did in the writer's room. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> so uh, you sent me that link? Yeah, I, d- I did. Okay. I did. All right. I'll take a, I'll take I, a... I, I quadruple checked and make sure I wasn't sending it to like my boss or anything. Like <laughs> All right. I'll take a... Hey, what's uh, your what's your wrong um you know speaking this is an episode uh where you know where kramer gets the wrong address so i guess it's worth bringing up an email from john from ireland who asks did have we ever got like a really interesting piece of mail or a text message or an email or have you ever sent one uh hmm. like someone was telling me recently that they were emailing their wife like when am i going to tell my boss i'm quitting this job and they accidentally cc'd their boss. Mm-hmm. And he like cc'd them both. So have you ever gotten, have you ever sent a really bad wrong email or received one? Or just like snail mail or, or a text or anything like that? I don't think so. Nothing is coming to mind uh, off the top of my head. Do you triple check when you're sending an important email or like a sensitive email that you're sending to the right person? Uh, sometimes. Yeah, I think I probably do. I mean, I, maybe the closest thing to that was uh, that... I went on a job interview once and it was for a job that I was uh, re- really hoping to get at the time. And then I got like word back that that I got the job and then I didn't hear anything for like another day or two. And then they told me that they actually it was a different person named Rob got the job and not me. <laughs> but, uh, that's like probably the closest I have to that. I did. I'm, I'm so careful about sending the right email. And the only time I've ever done it was. I, I sent Chester asked when we were doing like we were looking for a fan of, of teams for the 32 fans podcast. And he asked for the name of a fan of a specific team. And I accidentally sent him the wrong 
a guy a guy who I uh, like I wanted to get a job from who had the same last name mm-hmm. as uh, as the fan and I do, th- like neither of them use their full name so it's just like basically the exact same email address yes so I sent the wrong one and Chester sent the most insane email you've ever sent like assuming <laughs> the guy it was like a like I a, don't like believe a, it <laughs> like a two thousand word email and also like you know, like with tons of presumption like this guy is also an Orthodox Jew like us. The guy who we thought we were sending the email to, but the guy we sent it to is not. So there was tons of like super inside baseball Orthodox Jew stuff in there just because like we were discussing like it was going to be Passover and when we do it. And it was probably like so it was, not only was it the wrong email, this guy's getting like assuming that it's it's him. It's being CC'd by a stranger from Chester. And there's it's basically in another language. <laughs> so it's maybe that's why I never got that job. <laughs> All right, let's get back to uh, Fusilli Jerry. So Kramer comes in, and he ha- is holding the famed Fusilli Jerry. He has made a statue of Jerry from Fusilli pasta because Jerry is silly. See the microphone, he says. Um, we never get to see, or at least not in this episode, the other members of the core four made out of pasta. But in future episodes, we'll see them in Kramer's apartment. Yeah, it is. It is sad that we don't see Ravioli George here. But uh, right now, the Fusilli Jerry that we'll see in future episodes in Kramer's apartment is it is it a Fusilli Jerry two point uh, Let's let's hope so. <laughs> okay. Now, how is the Fusilli Jerry assembled? Because I would have to imagine that there, the epoxy used to hold the Fusilli Jerry together must be of the highest industrial grade strength that it is able to later on in the episode withstand a fall from a 175 pound man and not just shatter into a million pieces. Yeah, I mean, I think he got special glue from Bob Sacamano. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had to have been like coated in some sort of like laminate a million times to just not break. I mean, it's macaroni. It's going to like if you step on it, it's going to shatter into a million pieces. Totally. Yeah, I think uh, this is very special macaroni. <laughs> Let alone, I mean, if you if you took like a piece of fabric and then had like some sort of like fusilli jerry and then tried to try to puncture a piece of fabric with that, uh, I just feel like that that thing is breaking into a million pieces before you're ever going to get a hole in fabric. I agree, and we don't know that the entire the entire fusilli jerry went went all the way up. Mm. Could just be part of it. I, I guess so. Maybe the microphone. Maybe the microphone. Um, <laughs> Maybe the microphone. <laughs> all right. Anyway. So we find out that Kramer is trying to make pasta sculptures of each person that uh, is like the person. Uh, And then we're going to find out that George is going to be based on ravioli. Yeah. uh, A lot of people will get to it later, but a lot of people emailed in and wanted to know what, you know, what our pastas would be. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's in my notes, too. (laughs) Okay. All right. So then uh, we find out that Kramer got these license plates and they are of the ass man. And we get into a very funny conversation about whose license plate uh, are the ass man and who do they belong to. And of course, the first thought is that they belong to a person who gets a lot of women. And George says maybe they're Will Chamberlain's. Uh, Jerry says it doesn't have to be somebody that gets a lot of women. It could be a guy with a big ass. That sounds pretty unlikely. I do like that. Like Will Chamberlain was like the paragon of like the person who who like has slept with the most women. Who is he it now? That. That's that's my question. I was going to ask you who who is the new Will Chamberlain? 
Uh, hmm. Would you say is it still Wilt Chamberlain? Oh well, but he's dead. So mm. like, I feel like his 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 numbers get wiped off the board. Yeah, I feel like that there is not a person that has uh, claimed. Like, I wonder, is it like some sort of just like um, this is a, what a, about a, Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, is it like Leonardo DiCaprio? But the thing is about Leonardo DiCaprio, that's like that's not his only thing. I guess Will Chamberlain had. The basketball. Right. He's but, also but, like one of the five best basketball players ever. Yeah, but I feel like that Leonardo DiCaprio is more synonymous with his acting prowess. Where I feel like that Will Chamberlain really became known for that more after his playing days. Sure. Uh, if he was an active NBA player, I wonder if it's somebody like uh, is it somebody like a like a Dan uh, Brazilian or somebody like that. <laughs> Dan Brazilian. <laughs> I was going to say Charlie Sheen, but that might be too soon. Yeah, too soon. Um, hmm. It's a good question. I'd love to hear from the comments. Right, yeah, write in if you, have a, write, if you have a good answer there. And yeah. don't write yourself in unless you're like Charlie Sheen. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, as in an insane person. <laughs> so then uh, we find out that Kramer says it could be a proctologist. Uh, and we get into talking about the proctologist and that Kramer wants to know, have you ever talked to a proctologist at a party? They have the funniest stories you ever heard. And it's always an accident because nobody wants to admit they stuck something up there. Every proctologist story ends the same way. It was a million to one shot, Doc. Million to one. Uh, yeah, I do. And, you know, this is really one of the better setups for uh, an ending to the episode we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Kramer's supposition. The proctologist is the funniest person that you ever want to talk to at a party. Uh, are you buying or selling that? You know, I've never met a proctologist. Like, I've met a lot of doctor specialists, but I, I don't, I can't think offhand of like a, a proct. I've never needed a proctologist. I've never, I don't know any proctologist, so I have, I have no idea. Hmm. Yeah, it, I, I'm sure that they do have some good stories. Um, I, I don't know if proctologists tend to have the best sense of humor, but I would love. Don't you? Don't isn't it just like a straight ER thing? Like this is a good question for our medical people. Like, isn't it like you go you you're going to the ER? Isn't like just any ER doctor sort of dealing with you usually here? Mm, yeah, yeah. I feel like that. There's probably a lot of unfunny things like colon cancer that the proctologist is really focused on. I'm not sure if it's all as much fun in games as Cosmo is making it out to be. And it's pretty crazy that um, Frank doesn't even go to the emergency room. Like, he goes straight to the doctor's office. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe they just looked at the proctology in the yellow pages because they were talking about it so much. It seemed, I mean, maybe it's they're just them being cheap, but this seems to qualify as an emergency. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we now see Jerry in the garage with Putty, and he's like, hey, Putty, what's the story? You're doing my move? And Putty is like, oh. Uh, no, I, I've been doing that forever. That's not yours. Yeah, and this whole thing is clearly just, uh, you know, straight up. You know, one thing I was thinking of that no one brought up uh, when, you know, I'm researching the episode is that there's a famous story that Rosie O'Donnell, the first time she ever did stand-up, she just did Jerry Seinfeld's entire act. Mm-hmm. And she says that she just did it. She didn't know that, like, that. she just thought comedians just told jokes, and she didn't realize that you have to come up with your own material. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do wonder if like how much Jerry felt, especially now that the show is incredibly popular and he's had, you know, dozens of stand up routines shown on the air that like if, you know, he was re- if it was a real issue where 
a lot of people were stealing his material. And plus, this is pre-internet, where he could probably go to like Des Moines, Iowa, and do a few Jerry Seinfeld jokes and get away with it. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I don't know if there's anything, anybody specifically that he's talking about, but I'm sure there's a lot of people ripping off uh, stuff that they've heard in the Jerry Seinfeld act. Or at least, I mean, and we've seen that in the show, too. We're going to see it more uh, with some yeah, with of the Banya, Banya stuff. It's like, it's just the idea of, like, Banya is sort of like this generic, you know, hack comedian who steals bits. Yeah. So Jerry tells Putty, I don't mind if you do it outside the city. That's fine. And Putty says, oh, well, why don't you take your car outside the city? Uh, and they have this sort of disagreement on this. Uh, Akiva, could you think of anything more unlikely than you having any sort of conversation about sex with anybody who works on your car? No, I mean, especially like, especially not if like the car was in that person's hands at that point. <laughs> I get back a bill for like a million dollars. Um, yeah, Jerry's really going, you know, out of bounds here. Like, I feel like he can sort of work through Elaine, but I, for him to go to, you know, too putty. I, they're they're not that close. I feel like it's, uh, you know, he's gone over the line here. Mm-hmm. And so. Really bad karma for Jerry because as soon as he insults the mechanic, he immediately runs over a pothole and uh, his car is making a terrible noise. You like that about the karma? That's quite quite the pun. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but really, uh, what a coincidence! <laughs> really, what? A, you never want to go right from insulting your mechanic to uh, requiring the service of the mechanic within five minutes. Yeah, my fridge died this week. <laughs> And it's like a good thing, you know, I know the guy who fixes the fridges. It's a good thing I didn't, didn't walk up to him on the street and be like, you know, hey, that's a stupid shirt you're wearing. <laughs> yes. Would have come and charged me a thousand bucks. Stop doing uh, the same uh, moves that I invented. That's right. I feel like that would have been an awkward conversation with that guy. <laughs> All right. So we now see George uh, in bed with Nancy. And again, as George told us, uh, she does not look happy. She tells him to stop doing the move. Uh, she seems un- uh, upset. Uh, I feel like I, I recognize this look. Uh, and Nancy says uh, it's like aliens are poking her body. <laughs> she does not like it. Yeah, this, this really, um, you know, makes it even more unclear what the move is. <laughs> yeah, but we do start to get okay a little bit of in terms of uh what what the the placement of the positioning of the people are you sort of like okay we understand what the shift is uh for the move yeah but it seems like the three parts are almost in totally different spots okay so you feel like there's sort of like a warm-up and then there's like a main course and a dessert you think yeah it's it's almost less a move and and maybe more of a series of actions it seems like oh that's interesting See, i thought it was one continuous self-contained move i i thought so but like why would he need notes for that then mm, like and also like how is that what we're seeing george doing has nothing to do with the headboard Right. So I'm sort of imagining it sort of like drawn up like a football play where it's like, okay, you got these four people on one side and then so again, we're going to snap the ball and then we're going to fake left and go right and then sort of like one continuous action. Yeah. Never have two people been less qualified. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, we see now Putty and Elaine in bed. And so now... uh, Putty and Elaine are getting into it and Putty and again, similarly both just completely underneath the blankets. Uh, Putty uh, comes up. He can't do the move. That's it. He's, he's, he can't bring himself to do it. Jerry ruined it for him. 
By the way, very uh, like vigorous uh, screaming from Elaine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for like a nine o'clock, you know, NBC show for 1995. Right? Yeah, totally. I, it, it, you're almost like when this came on, I had to like mute my TV. I felt like someone was going to come into the room <laughs> and be like, "What are you watching?" <laughs> yeah. So he says, "That's it. Can't do the move." Uh, he's going to come up with some new material. He's going back yeah, to the Jerry, drawing board. Jerry is in his head. <laughs> Jerry got it in his head. All right. So Kramer, we see that he has a note on his car, which reads, call me 36, 24, 46. I think I have what you're looking for. Yeah. The show continues. It's really sterling string of phone numbers. No. Well, that's not her digit phone number. That's not her phone number. That's her measurements. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's oh, her. <laughs> that's her bust size, her waist size and uh, her hip. Not sure if I have the right words, but yeah, that's what that thirty six. Oh, I, always, I don't know why I thought it was a phone number. I guess now you now you really know I should not be the person answering the book <laughs> questions. Yeah, she's saying like, "Hey, uh, I have a I'm a I'm a forty six. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure if it's hip or what, but yeah, I am. I'm what you're looking for, ass man. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. All right. So we then see Estelle with the doctor. And uh, look, you can't cry for 10 days. You'll ruin the operation. Boy, do we have any sort of basis for the medicine of this, Akiva? Yeah. When we get to Dr. Thomas, our medical correspondence email, he's got a lot to say about this. Okay. Uh, So then we see Kramer then pulling into a space that says doctors only. And then... Uh, he tells the security guard, oh, uh, Cosmo Kramer, proctology. Also, the security guard here is also a great actor. Yeah, I love the security guard. Yeah, he's like, oh, okay, I got it. I got it. Like, I thought it was very believable performance. Yes. Um, I do lo- like, I do love that this giant hospital in Manhattan would, uh, would just like let you tell them you're a doctor when you don't have like MD plates or anything like that. <laughs> so. Yeah, that part's not believable, but the guy, the security guy is pretty good. Uh, Yeah. Okay, so Kramer is driving home with Estelle, and of course he has the ass man license plates, getting a lot of cat calls from people on the street. Hey, ass man, ass man's in town. Look at the ass man. I do think people tend to notice funny license plates. That's not so unrealistic. Yeah, and Estelle is like very flattered by people calling Kramer the ass man. Uh, Do you buy that? Well, she didn't see the license plate, clearly. Right. But are you buying that a woman like Estelle is uh, when people are yelling at Kramer like, hey, ass man, that she is she's cool with all this? I think we're all the hero of her own story. I think it's easy for her to believe that it's the cat calls her about her. So Kramer's getting a little distracted by all the people calling out to the ass man and causes him to stop short and protectively he throws his arm out. And Estelle has, again, she she feels like, oh, this is, I, again, nothing sexual is done by Kramer, but this is, she knows this move also. You know what was really like a very subtle thing I'm thinking about now that the show did that smart? When George is trying to get Kramer to drive Estelle to the doctor or to pick her up, and, um, and, and, and then George is trying to sell Estelle on going with Kramer, he says that you have the bucket seats that you really like. Mm-hmm. And so now, and that really comes to play here because like she could scooch over towards him a little bit more <laughs> and, you know, they're maybe closer together, right? Where, right. Because it's like a one long bench as opposed to, as opposed to the, uh, you know, the, the typical like two totally separate seats. Well, it begs the question, what's Estelle's move? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> 
I'm not sure we could see that one at nine o'clock. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, so are you saying that there's sort of like some sort of like back to the future type uh, scenario where, where if George Costanza was to go back to 1955, that he would see that Estelle uh, was probably much more promiscuous than he would be willing to accept as an adult. Why? Why? What do we know about her that makes her promiscuous? I just feel like that. Oh, that the the move of uh, that if you just like uh, stop short with her, that's really like I don't think that Frank is walking around telling people. My move, I stopped short with Estelle, and then six years later, she agreed to be my wife. Like, I think oh, that... You're slut-shaming Estelle Costanza. I am not. I'm saying, why is he bragging about this? It's just that he's saying, oh... Uh, How do you know it didn't work with, like, four different ladies, and this just <laughs> happens to be the one he married? I guess so. I don't know. But she seems like once once Kramer does that, it's all of a sudden she's like, oh, he's... that's. Obviously, you know, that, that he has the hots for me the, uh, now. But doesn't that seem very 50s to you? Like the stopping short with the arm thing like that would be your move. I guess so. Would, does it require bucket seats? Would it work if you did not have bucket seats in your car? It would be a little bit more forced if you had to like reach your 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 arm, you know, all the way across. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, the driver, it, you know, it, it would be a lot of work for the driver to sort of like, plus now if you're stopping short, you're worried about a, an airbag, which I don't know if <laughs> Kramer's car had. You know, you get your arm blown off by, by sticking it there. <laughs> I, I feel like if it is very, it's like a quaint move from the 50s. I feel like now, like that, now that will like involve like cocaine or something like that. Well, cocaine? <laughs> I don't know. In 1995 like, or 2016? 2015. I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, I feel like it would be, it would be a little, a little So you more. feel like stopping shorts is just like a conversation starter for uh, the, you're on a date with some, with, with Estelle. You stop short with her. It's just like a, a foot in the door, you feel like? Uh, then it was a foot in the door, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, but Estelle does It's very, not, like, Pleasantville-y. Right. Estelle does not seem, like, uh, aghast, like, uh, like, how dare you, Kramer, stop short with me. She, does, she is definitely excited by this idea. Yeah, she's flattered, and her facial reactions are really interesting. Like, just watching her... She, like, you know, she... I, you don't exactly know how, how the actress Estelle's, Estelle Harris is playing it, but... Uh, you know, she's clearly not totally and she's not I don't know if she's like super into Kramer. I think it's more the idea of like, here's this young man who's, uh, you know, who's interested in me now that I got the eye job. Well, just going back to it, um, I mean, she was very eager to go on the date with the bra salesman. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I feel like if you dated and were married to Frank Costanza, any guy would look good <laughs> afterwards as, as our, our wife's second husbands will be able to tell you. Yeah. Uh, so Jerry and George are in Jerry's apartment. George is upset. So that this, uh, move is not all it's cracked up to be. And, uh, Jerry wants to know, did you close with the swirl? And George is realizing that, oh, I wasn't, was I supposed to close with the swirl? And so Jerry's something, you got it, you got it all wrong. Uh, and George feels like he should have written it down. So it's, it's a complicated move. Yeah. There really has to be a lot of steps for George. Like George, I feel like he has a good memory. That's, it, you know, for him to forget it. There's got to be a, a lot there. There's a lot of different steps here in the move. And so Elaine buzzes up. She's on her way. And so Jerry's like, don't even do the move anymore. You're going to give it a bad reputation, uh, <laughs> which sort of speaks to maybe why he's afraid. Like if Putty's doing it, everybody's doing it. It's going to get out there. I think maybe he feels like he's some sort of 
uh, special sexual savant that he's the only person in the city that can do this. Yeah, it's a big city, Jerry. Calm down. Lighten up. I mean, if it is true what Jerry is saying, that the move, as he said to George, if you master this move, you'll never be lonely again. Does this speak to how Jerry is able to get so many dates or why Jerry has such extreme confidence with women because he does is the possessor of this move, uh, which seems to have a 100% satisfaction ratio or based on the events from the mango when Jerry is unable to tell that Elaine is faking, is it possible that the move is such a big production that he's with these women that are just so nice that they don't want to let him down and that maybe there are more fakers out there than Jerry cares to realize? I think it's a combination of both. I think clearly Jerry cannot be relied upon since he didn't even know that maybe his longest-term girlfriend, he had no clue what was going on. Um, I think if Jerry was you know, the world's greatest lover, history's greatest lover, he probably wouldn't have a new girlfriend every week. Mm, right. Because like sometimes he breaks up with them, but sometimes they break up with him. Yeah. And I feel like you could deal with the not will, not, you know, the I'm not willing to use your toothbrush if, if you know, Jerry was, uh, you know, like the, uh, you know, Don Juan of, uh, of the comedy scene. Yeah. And from what I understand that uh, these people that are the world's greatest lovers, they, they get away with more stuff. Like, I feel like that they're not getting dumped over the minorest of transgressions like Jerry tends to. No, it wouldn't be like, uh, you know, oh, you had a bet about this contest. Like, you're, I'm out of here. I feel like, you know, if uh, although right. that although that's a bad example, because that uh, Marla would have had no idea. How, she has uh, no idea. But, oh, no you idea won't use point. my toothbrush. OK, you're done. I agree. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so Jerry gets a phone call. Uh, estimate on the car. Twenty eight hundred. Twenty eight hundred for it really ran over a pothole. I don't really understand what's so uh, expensive here. Even, even if they find out from Putty, it'll be sixteen hundred. I mean, that's one expensive pothole. Yeah. Listen, Manhattan prices. You're playing. You're paying a premium. <laughs> OK. All right. So George says, OK, if Putty says it's going to be twenty eight hundred. That's what it is. And Jerry says, no, it's not Putty because uh, that I got him mad. And we got into a fight over the move. Uh, and he says, you think they're trying to screw me? And George has a good line. He says, of course they're trying to screw you. What do you think? They can make up anything. Nobody knows. Oh, you need a new Johnson rod in there. Oh, Johnson rod. <laughs> it is true. I feel like that's, you know, I wonder if doctors can do that too. <laughs> probably. But you know who does that probably sometimes? Dentists. Nobody, everybody ever does like, that. Yeah. What do you do that with podcasting? Like you guys need a second podcast. I feel like you, you no, thought but you were that's fine different. With that, that's different <laughs> in terms of that. You're I mean, the one honest podcaster out there. I know. I know. I, I, I don't do it with podcasting because that's not really how, you know. The, no, I know. Yeah. It, that's, yeah. But I think like dentists, so especially like nobody's really going for a second opinion. Usually it's just like, oh, you need braces. What a, what a coincidence. 98% of all people need braces. Like, and then you just get the braces. Like it's, it's very easy the less we know about something, like the easier it is to just yeah. tell. I someone. mean, I'm sure it happens in construction and, uh, you know, all sorts of other fields where it's like there's an estimate. You're sort of like, oh, OK, I'll tack that on, tack that on. Um, so it, it is, you know, many different fields that this thing uh, happens. Yeah. Sort of a thing. Uh, and so then here comes Elaine. And now <laughs> she's pissed. She's very angry and potentially frustrated. Putty won't do the move anymore. Yeah, I mean, Jerry got in Putty's head. He can only think of uh, Putty can only think of Jerry when he's trying to do the move. Yeah, and so Elaine says of this new move, you should see this. It's a lot of fancy schmancy stuff. It's like a big budget movie with a story that goes nowhere. 
It's a great line. Yeah, it is a funny line. I'm, I'm not quite sure what what could be qualified as fancy schmancy here that she's talking about that's going nowhere. But oh well. Yeah. Uh, so George wants to know, by any chance, is there a knuckle involved uh, with this move? <laughs> <laughs> she says, yes, there is. And George, I think he's doing my move. <laughs> <laughs> now, George said earlier in the episode, he has no move. So what is he telling Putty about? Like, I saying, wonder if he means the the aborted um, trying to do Jerry's move move. I think that's what he means. No, see, before I don't this, think so. he had zero moves. He and had now zero been- moves. So I think either there is like George is being sort of well, a couple things here. Okay. One, maybe Putty is like a super pervy guy. And every guy that comes into his garage, he's got nothing else to talk about. We know he likes the New Jersey Devils. Uh, which we will find out about. But maybe if Jerry and George aren't so into hockey, I think they're trying to go to Ranger games. Maybe the putty only cares about the devils and he doesn't want to talk about anything else except sex talk. And he's like, so uh, what do you like to do? Tell me, what do, what do, what do you do to, to a woman? And then he really just puts guys on the spot. And maybe that's why it's coming. Because in what scenario is George volunteering what he's doing to women? So you're saying that he stole this move from George also and Putty's just collecting every move in the city? I think so. I mean, what other explanation is there? Maybe that's why he's charging such low prices because like he figures they'll open up to him since they need him. Right. He's the only honest mechanic in town. He's in and it. now they owe him a favor. To get the sex moves from all the guys in the city. How about that? I mean, that's a very expensive move that he's buying if he's charging 1200 less than the other mechanic. What does he care about money? All he cares about is sex. He's always one of those guys. But then why doesn't he know any other moves besides Jerry and George's move? <laughs> Maybe everybody else is like, uh, 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 look, let's, let's keep it on the uh, above board here, putty. Just fix my car. Maybe there only are like a finite amount of moves. I'm not sure. That is very possible also. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I do think that he is ripping off George's move. I mean, what are the chances? I mean, how would George know? That, I mean, George hasn't spoken to Putty since Elaine started dating him. Yeah, no, I, this could be a coincidence also. Mm-hmm. It could be a coincidence, but it seems unlikely that George would go right to, uh, is he doing something with a knuckle? Yeah, I mean, but who knows? Maybe there are a lot of things that involve knuckles. We don't. <laughs> he didn't know what the full move entails. Yeah, I guess so. All right. So anyway, Jerry wants Elaine to get an estimate on the car uh, from Putty uh, when she gets a chance. And so (laughs) uh, that it seems like a bit of a stretch here that Elaine would be able to get this sort of information. But we'll see how she goes about that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, she could, you know, yeah, there were probably better ways for her to ask, but uh, it works pretty well here. Okay, All right. So then uh, George uh, heads out. And as he is leaving, we see Kramer with this woman that left a note on his car. This is Sally. Uh, and when she turns around, we get to see uh, the full uh, dimensions of Sally, which were advertised. Do they match? Uh-huh. You know what? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I didn't have a tape measure. Uh, I think that maybe the middle number might uh, seems like that did not line up with uh, who was cast for the part. Okay. Okay. Uh, if we're going to be, <laughs> again, I don't know what that breakdown looks like where you're trying to find that actress. <laughs> um, I, think, I think we need Sean Falconer. <laughs> yeah. 36, 24, 46. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if they got what they were looking for. Yeah. An interesting casting choice. Yeah. 
So we go back to George. He's in bed with Nancy, and she looks very happy. George has successfully performed the move. Yeah, Nancy, this is the only time we don't see her like completely angry and complaining for these five seconds. Yeah, she's very happy about everything. The move worked. So obviously it was in George's execution. I think that does speak to that if George could pull it off, that the move does work. Yeah, if George could do it, anybody could do it. I agree. Yes. And so she notices uh, what's on George's hand, and uh, he has written down the steps to the move. Yeah, and this is really one of the big mysteries of the episode. Who cares? That's right. <laughs> that is, is it the right. manliest, coolest thing in the world? No, but it already happened. You said it was like amazing. Big deal. Okay. Uh, a couple things here about uh, George writing down the move on his hand. One, you know, we were talking about uh, what is swirling, what, is, what part of the body is doing these things. I kind of feel like that we need to take the digits out of the mix or certainly at least one hand because, I mean, her body is not covered in blue ink at this point. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but like maybe it wasn't, who knows what he wrote it on. <laughs> you, you mean like what sort of like what ink kind of ink he's using? Yeah, I don't know hand? if it was like smudgy type of ink. I, you know, that's a good sort of detective point. But I'm not so sure. I mean, cover your hand in blue ink and then uh, see what happens when you start touching. So you're saying it's, it was it was the wrong hand? Uh, no, I'm saying that I think that it's from the fact that she is not covered in blue ink, that whatever is going on with the move, the left hand is not involved. Not involved. Yeah, it's a one-handed, one-handed move. Seems like a, way, a perfectly good waste of a hand, right? I mean... Yeah, it seems unlike... But what if he wrote... What if... I didn't see which part of his hand. But what if he wrote it on the outside of his hand, which would maybe never be used? So, again, I think that's getting into that knuckle area. I think that that would make sense, but then she would see it. But you're right. It is completely absurd why she is uh, so uh, so upset about that. Um, however, <laughs> uh, I do feel like this would be the sort of thing, like hypothetically, uh, if there was like some sort of like a uh, method of acquiring uh, this move that required some sort of uh, research to it, like I kind of feel like that uh, this might be the kind of thing that would annoy my significant other that like, oh, I was re- doing this research on this. It would um, be a turn off. It would be a turn off. Like I feel like it's almost like the kind of thing where you're also you're expected to be like instinctually having this information as opposed to uh, having the book learned knowledge about it. Right. This is almost the opposite of what Elaine is discuss- talking about at the beginning of the episode with Putty, sort of like the animalistic instinct. That, that's not the like the nerdy guy who did his homework. I don't know if that's really exciting her. Yeah, I think that's there. I think there's maybe something to that where it's not the kind of thing that you are supposed to learn that you are expected to just have this instinctually be uh, be about you. Maybe that's the fact that Elaine is upset about Putty, and maybe that speaks to that, oh, that he acquired this move. This was not something that was part of his instinctual indigenous uh, behavior. Yeah, that's a good point. A good point. Okay. I, again, we really, we really needed a female correspondent here. We have so many questions. All right. Well, this really does change things because, in terms of like trying to do more research about the move, 
and then try to tell my significant other of, hey, I've done this research. Uh, I, I need an at-bat here. Uh, I feel like that this was going to be uh, even more of a turnoff. Yeah, it, it, you're going to get like, where did you learn that from? You didn't come up with that yourself. Right, right. And so so uh, that I feel like just to go back to the lesson that's always learned on this podcast, no way to win. There's no way to win. No, don't even try. Don't even try. No way to win. No good deed goes unpunished, Akiva. All right. Set uh, the bar very low, and then maybe you <laughs> jump over that really low bar. All right. So uh, we see Frank Costanza. Uh, and actually, you know, I, I skipped over the scene where uh, Estelle is talking about her eye surgery, and Frank is there. And again, I guess Frank is visiting, and he is very upset uh, about this of the, oh, you're getting this eye surgery. Well, you're not the only one improving yourself. I am working out with a dumbbell. Yeah. I do love that's like 90s exercise. And she says, oh, you really? Well, Kramer stopped short with me. He stopped short. That's my move, <laughs> which is great. Uh, yeah, Frank's really, really one of the great sort of like tie-in slash callbacks we've had in the whole series. Yeah. All right. So Frank is on a mission. He's going out hunting for Kramer. He sees Kramer's car on the street with the license plate ass man. And he's like, oh, ass man, I'll show him. So we also have the scene where Elaine is in bed with Putty and she's asking him about the car repair, how much for the gasket, what if it's a bad gasket, terrible gasket. And Putty ends up saying $1,600. be $1,600 with the parts and labor. Yeah, $1,200 cheaper than Jerry's quote. Yes. And then uh, Putty goes back to the makeout sesh and then you hear Elaine scream, please, David, not the knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the R.A. Dickey? No oh boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they call it the Wakefield. <laughs> the Wakefield. Okay. And then, so, we end up with Jerry and Elaine back in Jerry's apartment. And so, then, uh, he's telling Elaine, they're talking about the car prices, $1,600. They are ripping me off. So, Jerry says, that's it. I'm going back to Putty. No move is worth this. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the problem wasn't that Putty didn't want you to come to him. The issue wasn't that uh you know that that you you know kicked putty out putty <laughs> might not let you back jerry yeah your band again we've seen it so many times on seinfeld where a small business owner bans one of the core four from this, their services uh so it looks like jerry is gonna have to probably get back on his hands and knees which may or may not be a part of the move itself yes and <laughs> and also offer full use of the move back to putty yes yes uh, he might have to give a move also if, if Jerry knows another move you might have to also give oh, and also any rights to future moves that Jerry learns oh like a back he's got to give a backup move or come up with a new one I guess. no I think a, a move to be named later oh he's he's got to trade like next time you hear of a move you come to me first yeah Jerry might have okay. to stop doing the move <laughs> Why? oh do you mean like putty like it's your putty is the sole owner of the move yeah now. Jerry has to sign over exclusive usage of the move uh, to go back to having Jerry be a customer yeah that sounds like a tough trade <laughs> well, I was he is getting this is like the R.A. Dickey for Noah Syndergaard trade yeah well I think that Jerry could probably still do it as long as putty doesn't hear about it well yeah, that didn't work too well for uh, for Elaine yeah okay well he's got to not date anybody putty knows yeah, listen it's a small town this Manhattan people talk yeah all right so Elaine is excited that he's gonna start doing the move again and so really exciting news for Elaine but here comes Frank Costanza and he is PO'd he wants to know, where's Kramer? He stopped short. <laughs> and so with my wife, he stopped short. You think I don't know about that? That's my move. 
Everybody knows. Apparently, I told everybody about it. <laughs> so, again, something must have happened that he's telling everybody about it. Seinfeld didn't invent Stopping Short, right? I mean, who invented that? I feel like it's a concept that probably was around. I guess so. I don't know. Again, pre-internet, who knows? Yeah, but this is even older. I feel like this move dates back to like the 50s. Well, Frank, yeah, when Frank Costanza invented it. <laughs> In the Model T, you think people were stopping short? I don't see. I don't know. Like the seats were very different then. You might have been like eight feet away from the driver, from the passenger side. And Jerry's like, "Oh, you're really stopping short. That's a good move." Uh, Frank is like, "No kidding, it's a good move." So here comes Kramer, <laughs> uh, and Frank is really upset about everything. And like, how dare you stop short with my wife? And Kramer's like, "Oh, Frank, come on, relax. You don't know what you're talking about." And we get into it. Uh, you think I don't know, ass man? Uh, to think I almost split the profits of the man's ear with you. Uh, and Kramer and him get into about the bro versus the man's ear. Which again, a great callback. Great callback. You know that he saw the the bro lying in the car, which you know made him realize that oh, that's Kramer. He's the ass man. Mm-hmm. And so then Frank Costanza slips and screams, uh, and everybody looks on in horror. Uh, how about the believability of the slip? Uh, did it seem right to you? Yeah, maybe they should have taken a diff- another take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did seem like they didn't quite get it. I do think sometimes working with Jerry Stiller was probably difficult. I feel like by take like eight or ten, they probably just gave up and took the best one. Yeah, it looks as though he lands about a foot off the ground, which uh, based on the height of the Fusilli Jerry did not see. And the fact that they have to go to the emergency room you would think that the Fusilli Jerry would have to be completely lodged. lodged right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it did not seem like, based on the angle which he fell, the ballistics of this, uh, I, I wasn't getting that. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And also the sound, again, I feel like that there should have been more of a crunch based on the <laughs> Fusilli being... Uh, you know, a pasta product. I mean, he's wearing pants. Like, it went through his pants. Yeah. I'd have to go back and listen. I, I feel like I didn't hear a rip of the pants or anything like that. It was just sort of like, uh, I feel like that. I mean, the- this is like a, there's, this is like a, like a knife, the, the Fusilli pasta. Mm. It's sharp. Okay. So we then are in the hospital and we see Jerry, George, and Elaine on the couch uh, talking and all the dialogue is great. If I wasn't there, I wouldn't have believed it. Uh, you know, they say, they say this guy's the best, uh, you know, they had, why do you have to use corkscrew pasta? And so there's, after that corkscrew pasta line, there's this great moment where Jerry and Elaine and George all like, sort of like, kind of like shift in their chair. Really, really funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This scene is really good. (laughs) Okay. So Kramer says, Hey, come take a look at this. Look at the name of the boat. And the boat is the ass man. Yeah. And he puts the two and two together. Yeah. And so the doctor wants to know, okay, which one is the son? Here's Dr. Cooperman. He's going to be fine. Uh, and so Kramer wants to say, hey, by any chance did you recently get the wrong license plates? Uh, and Kramer says to him, so you're the ass man. And he does like a wink. I do like that there's no follow-up from the doctor. Like, how do you know, stranger who just walked in? That I didn't get the right license plates. Was this like on the news? <laughs> I don't know. Like, well, he doesn't say like, hey, uh, he says like, yeah, the DMV is dealing with it. He doesn't say like, did you get my license plates? Is that why you're here? Keith, if you were in need of a proctologist, uh, would you go to a proctologist with ass man vanity plates? Yeah, it's a good question. But I, I feel like you 
if all proctologists have a great sense of humor, then like, what are you just looking for? The one unfunny proctologist? I, I, you know, you almost want someone who has, you know, this isn't brain surgery, first of all. Mm, yes. Like, I feel like any that, decent proctologist. That guy's license plate is brain man. Yeah, I feel like that. that's a much different plate. Um, you know, I don't, I, 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 different doctors I have, like, I don't mind if a dentist has a sense of humor. I guess a proctologist is okay. There are, like, I feel like my nephrologist has to be, like, totally straight, you know? <laughs> like, like messing with the kidneys, I feel like I don't want I don't want any jokes. Okay, all right, and then you overhear the dialogue of Frank Stanza. It was a million to one shot, Doc. A million to one. Yeah, great callback there. Yeah, great job. Uh, any issue with you that it's the disembodied voice of Frank Stanza? It's almost like that they thought of that after they finished filming the episode. Yeah, I would. I would. Uh, con- other than maybe they were just like out of time and they have this scene that maybe they don't. They never showed us. Uh, it is obviously breaking sort of uh, the the shows. You know, it's it's something that we never see before. We've never seen before again, where you just sort of hear this as like a voiceover, basically. Yeah. So I agree. If I had to guess, they thought of this afterwards. I think so too. Uh, so we get Frank and Estelle back together. George is dropping Frank off back with Estelle, and again, maybe it's this idea where she has to take care of him. And uh, where were you? You were supposed to fix the stove. So he uh, still has chores there. He says he fell on some fusilli. <laughs> corkscrew pasta you had to go to the proctologist <laughs> and Estelle does not take the news well and she starts crying and everyone's like no Estelle don't cry but isn't this a happy ending for George yeah it's weird right because like the eye job is ruined but I guess it is kind of a happy ending because George's whole thing was he didn't want his mom getting the eye job because she's like I have to get the eye job because I'm out there I need to be dating and ostensibly she is no longer able to be out there dating or not be able to go on as many dates or thinking of herself as an eligible bachelorette because of the fact that her eye job is ruined, thus being a happy ending for George. His parents yeah, are back together. This- his mom's eye job is ruined. Uh, he knows the move. Uh, he has successfully performed it. Okay, uh, this pain in the neck, girlfriend. Uh, who's uh, seems like uh, she's never happy unless uh, you perform the move up to snuff is gone. I feel like things are looking up for George after this episode. Yeah, I agree. He won the week. For George. Yes. Can I use that? Week. Can I use that? <laughs> yeah, you could use it. <laughs> or that other podcast move. So there you go. George is the big winner. Uh, yeah, I think uh, George comes out A-OK here. Uh, I feel like maybe Elaine might be the winner also. Co-winner. That's true. <laughs> she's got people fighting over doing the move on Okay. All right. Uh, so that being said, all right, Akiva, is there anything else that doesn't hold up uh, from this episode from 1995 to 2016? Ooh, uh, I think a lot does hold up. Um, yeah, the vanity plates thing, I feel like that would be uh, just mailed to you. Um, I feel like moves are still in vogue. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Probably, yeah, I feel like this holds up. This holds up pretty well. Yeah, you don't need to go to your mechanic to get moves. Uh, you can do all sorts of uh, Google searches and stuff like that. Probably recommend a incognito browser tab. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Everything that they should really be our sponsor for this podcast. Uh, so trying to think of anything else in terms also, of I, I wonder if you could um, Google like what's a fair price for like the lug nuts and the you know, like the mm-hmm. car stuff that the you silly jerry uh would fetch a pretty penny on etsy yeah that's right <laughs> i think so kramer, like you would just make few silly versions of anybody right i think that kramer could have a whole side business going uh with that okay 
So then let's grade out everybody in this episode. Strong episode across the board. Uh, let me ask you this. Is there anybody that you feel like should not be getting an A in this episode? No, I think everyone gets an A. It's a little, it's a different type of episode where the storylines are very intermingled. So I'm going to give four A's. I agree. Okay. So then, Akiva, where does this episode land for you? And is it in your top nine pantheon? No, it's not in my top nine. Um, it really could be. I don't know if there's one Hall of Fame joke or moment. Uh, you know, we didn't touch on it that much, but like the probably the most famous line of the episode is the I'm Cosmo Kramer, the ass man. Mm hmm. I feel like that was like a quote that was played. Maybe it's just in my head because I feel like every time someone signed offline on AOL, that was like my <laughs> default, like dot .wav file that would yes, play. Yes. Um, so I, I feel like that's burned into my memory for the rest of my life. Um, but it's not a top nine episode, but it is a top 25 episode. I have uh, the Facility Jerry at number 24. Okay. I do love this episode. Uh, from the moment it aired, I love this one. Yeah, it's great. I, I have no problem. If you put this at one, I, c- I wouldn't even call someone crazy. It's great. Yeah, it's a great episode. All right, Keeve, you ready to get into our feedback for the week? Let's do it. All right. Uh, this comes to us all when you send us your email, Seinfeld at post show recaps. And hopefully uh, in, within the next week or two, we'll be recording these podcasts later on in the week as we get to the survivor hiatus. Uh, from all of the reality stuff that I cover on Rob has a podcast. And so we will uh, be able to get even more of your emails into the show that come in even later on in the week. But let's start off with Ariel uh, has an email about the doodle who says my hot take on Jerry's parents behavior in the hotel is that the writers are running with the same trope that they were doing with Elaine when she was acting like she was in middle school in the art class. Each generation seems to have discovered the former time in their lives for the Seinfelds, including Leo and Nana. They've reverted back to college behavior and are treating the hotel room like a college party or frat house. I mean, I don't know firsthand about that type of college behavior. I'm just throwing that out there. Are you buying or selling the Seinfelds acted like they were in some sort of dorm room slash frat party? Yeah, that makes sense. Although, does it really extend? Like, does that extend to Jerry in last week's episode? I'm not sure, but it's Mm. a good theory. Yeah, I mean, Nana is acting like she's in a frat house. I don't Nana was pretty wild back in the old country. I guess so. Again, that this is the first podcast that we've done, which makes me interested in some sort of 1950s era Seinfeld prequel where we are seeing the Costanzas and the Seinfelds at the ages that George and Jerry are in the series and seeing what the everyday again, it's not going to be necessarily because they're they're married, but maybe we have some sort of like honeymooners type show with them, even though they don't like each other. Yeah, I feel like the show would have had to have happened already, but it would have been a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been like a Golden Boys type of show. Yeah, some sort of you know, Clompus uh, is a character. Uh, you know, all these other people that are the friends of the sign. Man, Le- Leo's a character. Yeah, yeah Nana. <laughs> this good. has legs. This is gold, Akiva. Uh, yeah, it was gold. Okay. Uh, what else do we got? Um, okay. Uh, Dan the Benefactor writes in. He's got a good question. He says, if we found ourselves at a party with all the characters from Seinfeld, who would you plant yourself next to in hope of hearing the most interesting stories? Though I'm sure the actual ass men would have some good stories. Personally, uh, Dan the Benefactor is going to pick Bob Sacamano. Oh, okay. That's a decent pick. Not where I would go. Keeve, what do you got? What about O'Brien from the limo? I feel like he's got some crazy Oh, he's stuff. got some stories. He's got some stories. For me, I think my number one pick is going to be 
Tim Watley. Yeah, that's not bad. He's got some good stories. <laughs> that's true. I feel like he's a little freakier than we realized. <laughs> Yeah, he's got some stories. Uh, anybody else really stand out? Somebody that has some pretty good stories that you want to hear? Hmm. I mean, like, how are we extending it to, like, anyone who's ever been on the show? Because, like, we could get Regis there. That's, like, the number one guy ever you'd want to be at next Yeah, to I think they probably were looking for fictional characters from the show. Oh, so you have to be fictional. But, this, but Jerry is a fictional version of himself, right? Yeah. I'm sure Kramer has some really good stories as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, Kramer's probably the best answer. That's actually a good point. Yeah. Kramer, Tim Watley, uh, lots, lots of good answers off this one. Craig from Vancouver writes to us and says, here's an interesting thing I found out about the actor who plays Dr. Cooperman, a.k.a. the ass man. The actor is Apollo Dukakis, brother of actress Olympia Dukakis, and the brother of Michael Dukakis, the 65th and 67th governor of Massachusetts, and the Democratic presidential nominee beaten by George H.W. Bush in the 1988 election. Don't you think it's odd that George was so willing to shake the doctor's bare hands just before he pulled something out of his father's butt? Uh, I mean, Craig, I'm pretty sure he probably was wearing gloves, right? Yeah, but maybe was he still wearing the same gloves at the time he comes out and tells George that that uh, Frank's going to be okay? Oh, we need to check. <laughs> we need yeah. to check that. Check that on the tape. Uh, what about Doctor Cooperman uh, being a Dukakis? Yeah, uh, who knew that? Uh, th- I guess there's a lot of Dukakis siblings. <laughs> I guess so. And they've all gone on to great things. Whether it's been a presidential nominee, uh, a esteemed actress, uh, the Ass Man. So yeah, many- I'm not sure he was like a professional actor. I feel like. He- this may have been because he doesn't even have the picture on IMDb, which is never a good sign. So what do you think it was that they had just had like this other Dukakis brother and maybe he was like a Seinfeld fan. He's like, oh, let me be on the show. Like, oh, we got just the part for you. You're the ass man. He looks like a real his IMDb page is like uh, is like a bit part actors, you know, type. I feel like if that's his main thing, then mm-hmm. I'm not so sure like he's, you know, he, he's a big deal. He, he doesn't have his own Wikipedia page, even. I'm not sure. We have to do a, a deep dive this week on Apollo Dukakis. Okay. Paul Borges has homework this week. <laughs> All right. What else we got? Oh, you know where Thousand Oaks is? I feel like maybe you're going to have to go see him this week. That's where he lives. Why? Do I have a uh, proctology issue? Well, he's not a real doctor. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's see if we have mutual friends. No, I don't. I'll come in. I heard you're the ass man. <laughs> I'm sure he's heard that. You're the person to see. Right. I mean, that's probably something that follows you, right? How many times a day do you think that that guy gets called the ass man? I probably people don't really remember it's him. He's probably like, my brother was the time <laughs> governor, two time governor. What did he do? He ran for governor. He won. Then did he quit to run for president? Probably. Lose governor again. Probably. Look at him. Yeah. OK. OK. So uh, let's uh, see. Lindsay wants to know, what's the weirdest gift someone has given to you? The worst or weirdest, she says. Um, oh, for sure. Worst. I once I broke up with my first girlfriend because she gave me like a. Like a diary for my for my birthday. So you got a gift from this girl and then you mm-hmm. broke up with her because you didn't like it? Like the next day. I mean, it was I was probably like in my mind, it was just the final straw. But mm-hmm. it was such a bad gift. It was like, oh, you don't know me at all. Forget it. Yeah. Wow. And it was funny because she was like, oh, yeah, my friend said this is a terrible gift. But they're like, oh, you don't know Akiva. He would love this diary that he's not going to throw <laughs> in the garbage. I feel like this is like a Seinfeld thing. This is uh, maybe this is why this show appeals to you so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was young, I feel like. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't a great like I, now if someone gave me a diary, I'd be like, oh, my God, I got my first present in 10 years. This is amazing. <laughs> and now I would kill for like any any piece of paper, like a like a napkin with like a nice thought written on it. That would be fine. Mm hmm. 
I feel like there's so many bad gifts that I've gotten at like different like Christmas type things. They were there. It's like it's almost like obvious that you are being like regifted different things like any of these like sharper image type things that it's like some sort of a gadget. Uh, there's so there's and you're so many. searching for the receipt. Like, please let them have left the receipt in. Yeah, there's so many bad ones. It's hard for me to just pick out uh, just one to say, but. So any of the any of the thing like that. Um, also, Lindsay wants to know uh, what does Estelle think the fellow drivers are suggesting when they're yelling "ass man"? I can't really think of a way that that could be construed as a compliment, but Estelle seems very flattered. So you think that she was just like, "Oh yeah, he's the ass man. He's with me." Yeah, I think that's definitely what they're implying, or at least they want they're implying that Estelle thinks. Yeah. Okay. Look, I'm telling you, Estelle, she's she's not a prude. Well, 20 years younger now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. What else we got? Uh, Johnny DeSilvera says that according to the inside look, the original title for the episode was The Move. They also considered The Ass Man, which I feel like they wouldn't have ultimately picked. I, the Fusilli Jerry is an interesting title because, like, does it spoil the end a little bit? Like, we knew that the Fusilli Jerry is there, but if someone, and there's no reason on earth why someone would be sitting there analyzing the name of the episode mm-hmm. during the episode, but it, that's not the best name until the, you know, until sort of like the penultimate scene, basically, where, yeah. where he falls on it. Um, I think the move is probably it, it sounds sort of generic, but it's probably the best name. I was thinking about this earlier today. Uh, I didn't know that the move was on the table. What about the license plates? Yeah, I feel like that's the license plate. Yeah, the license plate is good. I mean, if you want to do the ass man, if you're willing to do that, which I'm not sure they were. Yeah, no, because that tips the joke. I mean, if you have it in the title, I feel like, yeah, if you see Jerry a little bit. I mean, that's not the ma- a main joke in the episode. But I think that that sort of spoils it. So I like the license plate where there's nothing funny and you know exactly what this episode is about. Yeah, that's a, probably a better way to, you know, because the Fusilli Jerry, like it's possible that you wouldn't even remember what this episode was. Okay. All right. Here is Dr. Thomas, medical correspondent. He writes in to say, proctologists, mostly now known as colorectal surgeons, as well as emergency physicians would see injuries similar to Frank's on a fairly regular basis. And yes, it's true. They frequently come along with the million to one explanation about how it happened in the first place. Um, What about, are they funny? That's really what I want to know. Yeah, but I don't know how like Dr. Thomas would really be. First of all, he's Australian. I feel like everyone's kind of just funny. Everybody has a good sense of humor. Yeah, Australian doctors, I feel like are pretty salt of the earth. I feel like they're pretty... Just funny guys. I mean, there probably aren't a lot of like, ser- not like, uh, you know, like uh, sourpusses in the uh, in the Australian in his Australian sort of medical school. I mean, are proctologists the only doctors with potentially funny stories? Are there no gynecologists with funny anecdotes? No urologists with a funny story or two? I bet there are, but it's also like you sort of have to choose your specialty when you're finishing up med school, right? And it's almost like a bit. Becoming a proctologist in general is almost like a funny bit, right? Yeah. I feel like everyone's ch- staring at like the guys who become the proctologists and the urologists and stuff. Yes. Uh, yeah. Not OBGYN. I feel like that's so sort of uh, common, you know, and you're just dealing with a lot of labors and stuff a lot right. of the time. So, uh, but I do think it's like you have to you have to have like a sense of humor even to like pick it. Has the humor quotient of talking to a proctologist at a party been affected in any way with the advent of HIPAA privacy laws since this episode came out in 1995? Uh, that's a good question. I feel like we need an older doctor than Thomas to answer mm, that. Yeah. He only knows the new school. So, 
Uh, I mean, we'll and HIPAA, like, I don't know what HIPAA entails, but like, you can't tell generic stories without saying you know, they happen to. You can't say like, I found a, you know, like a like an eighteen inch ruler, and you know, you can't say. You'll stuff be like disbarred. That you, you really? <laughs> well, if you were a lawyer, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what would happen. That's a good question. <laughs> if they caught you at a party, like telling like blind item stories about patients, I feel like that that would be a violation. Right, your wife's a nurse. I feel like she would know. Is that is? I don't know if that's true. I'll ask her, and she would never do something like that. Never. Uh, she would never come home. <laughs> that would involve talking to you. Okay. By the way, Dr. Thomas also said something interesting. He answered a question we had earlier. He said, a stale storyline about not being able to cry after a surgery is strange. He's never heard of this outside of Seinfeld. He hasn't found anything about it in medical literature. Hmm. He says it's rubbish from the writers, both in terms of medical facts and comedic value. First of all, leave the comedic value judgments up to us, Dr. Thomas. We're asking you for your medical opinion only. Yes. Uh, no, okay. But I think... So the, there's no such thing as you can't cry for 10 days, which uh, I think makes sense. Makes it sense. sounded unrealistic. All right. Dennis from Sydney writes in and wants to say, just for your info regarding the discussion of macadamia nuts, did you realize the vast majority of these nuts are grown in Australia? As such, as an Australian, I'm offended by their being abused by Uncle Leo. Yeah, don't be so offended. Is Dennis the Australian trade minister? He's <laughs> <laughs> very upset about the imp- importing and exporting going on it's like art vandalay yeah ma- macadamia nuts are their main export in australia i think R- really well that i think kangaroos to zoos like they <laughs> give they sell kangaroos to zoos around the world all right and then as for superhero franchises think of them as the national league and the american league in baseball how's that for an aussie uh, akiva i don't think that holds at all i feel like that for one the american league and the national league are playing games every single day i don't think that superman and iron man are getting into it uh every every single day yeah would they let the dc and the marvel fight each other no no that would, would never not. happen right i would say that maybe a better example might be sort of like the wwf to the now defunct wcw but i feel like that there was a lot of like sort of like stealing people so it's not like marvel is signing you know the flash to come over and join their organization so i don't know if there's a good sort of like a, right, it would what, have to be something where it's permanently on separate sides you're saying right because like, we're talking about intellectual proper like the they're never switching teams really yeah yeah well, you could trade like they could make a trade like i'll trade you superman for like iron man for five years or something but they actually couldn't. Like, I mean, they, I mean that, no, that they would could, be like, legally they could. Like when when NBC wanted uh, Al Michaels, they 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 like uh, they gave ESPN some Disney characters that they owned back. Mm. They traded them for like for Oswald the Rabbit. <laughs> okay, I, I don't know. Maybe we can get a commenter to tell us uh, something that is is more akin to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amir writes in. And he says he did some research, and according to the New York DMV Commissioner Rules and Regulations, subchapter 16.5e, he's being serious, no plate shall be issued under this part, which is in the discretion of the commissioner, obscene, lewd, lascivious, derogatory to a particular ethnic or other group, or patently offensive. He's fairly confident, Amir is, that ass man would have been denied rather quickly, as it is most certainly lewd and I said less vicious, but of course I meant lascivious. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, I think there's no way you're getting any bad word in in a row on a plate. You can trick them by yes. you know like by sort of going doing it subtle or doing like every other word, but you can't do uh, you can't do uh, ass man. Do you ever and, would yes. you ever have uh, like if if you could if they were free or whatever like and you needed to get 
your own plates? What would your what would your license plates? I say? think I used to think about that sort of thing, but I probably would not. I probably wouldn't be. This is why I don't have any tattoos because I can't think of one thing that I know I'm going to like and not regret forever. Yeah, I feel like it would say like the Podfather. Podfather. I feel like that that's already been taken. I feel like that probably either Adam Carolla or even Adam Curry. I feel like already has that name. So. I, I don't on have, the license plate, or that's their nickname. No, I feel like that they have both been uh, called that nickname. So I, I wouldn't want to then have people like somebody like, "Oh, I, I'm an Adam Carolla fan, and Got he's it. the right, father." So Let this? me key your car. What about this? R O B T H T S U X. I guess so. I, I don't want, maybe because it's nine instead of eight. I mean, I don't want something that it's like somebody can then say, "Oh, that's Rob Sesternino's car." Like, uh, let me key Wait, it. I think you're now you're overrating your. Uh, well, I mean, of, is of there a possibility on the, on the that one highway. that one person <laughs> might recognize my license plate? I mean, and then how, what are they going to follow you home and murder you? Like, no. they could do that now if they really wanted to. Probably they'll key the car. What? I, what? Because you had a really hot take on like who was going to win Survivor? I, why? Why are the people, the people who know you probably like you? Mm, that's the what you would think. Don't, like you that, just don't you... know you exist. <laughs> no, there are plenty of people that know uh, I exist and don't like me. Okay. You have a lot of haters. I think so. Um, but yeah, I, I'm no interest in a uh, vanity plate. Okay, fair enough. Now, could you do something like ass man be like a five five man? I think they catch that. I feel like they're really good. Yeah. I feel like that would be a good job. If I went to jail. I feel like I'd want to be. Do the prisoners still make the license plates? In some places, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like if I went I feel to like jail, Sheriff Joe's got them doing different things. Yeah, I think that some, I would want that to be my job to just be like looking at license plates, like trying to. Is that guy trying to? All right, that's a, that's not bad. Anything you go to, Yeah, Amir also he he. A lot of people ask this question, but he came up with his own answers. He says, uh, if someone was making miniature versions of us, what kinds of pastas would capture our essences? So here are Amir's suggestions: Rotini Rob. Okay. It has a nice alliterative ring. It's a very resourceful noodle that never goes to waste. It can be used in a pasta, pasta recipe or a salad. It's delicious hot or cold with sauce or plain. It's truly the survivor of noodles. A little bit of a stretch for a survivor, but, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's, uh, I, li- I like it. Rotini Rob. Not bad. What do you think? It's okay. I feel like that the Fusilli Jerry and Ravioli George, uh, there's no alliteration there. So I feel like that we don't need to get to be trapped by the alliteration. Like so more, do, you, do you have a, a type of pasta that you like better? Not off the top of my head in terms of like my personal preference, but I feel like, you know, if there was something that was more representative of me, uh, whereas like uh, Jerry is silly, so they're using uh, a silly uh, and George is probably uh, like a ravioli. Like, I don't know if there's something that's representative of me. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Not everyone has their own pasta. Mm hmm. Yeah. What about you? Um, so for me, Amir says that he's going to go with alphabet pasta Kiva. Because you loved it. You love alphabet yeah, it's, soup. This is alliterative as well. The noodles are popularly used in soups. We all know my feelings about soup. Additionally, it captures my background in education. I guess the alphabet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the idea, he writes in and says, uh, the idea of it's like another comedian stealing my material. It's in, in, in uh, Amir says it's in, in a side, an aside in this episode. But he always assumed the putty move-stealing storyline was clearly a commentary on the rising popularity of Jerry's comedic style and whether other comedians were simply stealing it or whether it was something obvious the comedians were doing well before Jerry. Right? Because everyone was doing airplane stuff. But were they actually jacking Jerry's bits, he's asking. And they're saying that maybe Jerry just came in with the punchline of the clockwise swirl as opposed to doing the pinch before Jerry? 
well, I don't know how the entire storyline uh, works with Amir's theory, but he says this storyline goes hand in hand with the Buttershave from season nine, where Banya becomes a time slot hit merely for following Seinfeld on stage, which is obviously a reference to the mediocre NBC sitcoms that piggybacked off of Seinfeld right. that I famously watched uh, a few seasons ago. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so that's a good point. I feel like uh, there is a lot of meta uh, references there. Okay. And finally, here's Chester. You haven't heard from him all week, so this should be fresh for you. He says, does Jerry really think his move is so unique? Magazines advertise 10 new sex moves every month. There can't be a single secret sex move in existence in the world. Boy. Now, does this go back to the plot line that I talked about a couple of weeks ago of the humble brag Chester? (laughs) Is Chester saying right here that he, in his vast knowledge base... (laughs) has collected all of the moves there are and there is no new move to be discovered now the, there I is no undiscovered is, country our question is does he have a spreadsheet for this that <laughs> one for everything else all right follow the 32 fans podcast when <laughs> chester gives his top 100 sex moves oh of boy. all time uh that is going to be the, the number one podcast in itunes <laughs> I hold. I gotta call my dad and and ask him to unsubscribe before that. I don't know who's who am I kidding? No one I know. No one. No one in my family subscribes to any of my. If podcast. you did that one, boy, the, <laughs> thirty-two million fans. Uh, we do. We it. do need a, an episode idea for this week. We haven't recorded yet, so <laughs> maybe uh, you know. Maybe I was going to just do like NBA playoffs, but I feel like this is going to bring in more buzz. All right, Chester goes on. He says, "Also, I hate to be annoying." Now, come on, come on. <laughs> Just reading it. I hate to be annoying, uh, but the entire premise of this episode is flawed. Women aren't like men. There is no one move that works on all women. I mean, he tested it on every woman. (laughs) And he knows. There's no Da Vinci code that unlocks every door. I feel like he's been reading a lot of like Cosmopolitan and like, uh, what are those other magazines? Yeah, I think so. Because just to be fair... Well, uh, these 10 new sex moves every month, I feel like are not a lot of men's magazines that have these things. I feel like that that's uh, more of like a Cosmo trope to uh, have a magazine uh, with that on the cover. Yeah, but I could see them lying around the house. I mean, his wife, I guess, gets a lot of magazines. She's a doctor. Maybe they send him to the office or something. Is Chester getting like Maxim? I don't think he is. (laughs) I think he's too snooty for that. Yeah, the doorman would throw it right out if it came into the mailbox. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, the doorman would would lose all respect for him then. They would hold it with like two fingers like, is this <laughs> yours, Mr. Chester? <laughs> like, I don't and, know. Like, leave it out so the entire building could see it. Also, Jerry asking George how tall she is because there can't be more than a one foot differential in height is ridiculous. Does Jerry really think George is dating a girl who is under four five or over six five? <laughs> a fair point. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Give Chester one. <laughs> also, why would George's girlfriend possibly be upset about using the crib notes if the move worked and she's never felt that good in her life? Well, I don't think she said that, did she? I think she did. She started to say like, oh, I've never felt. I don't know if she completes her sentence, but uh, yeah, I, we agree with uh, with the point there. I feel like she was complaining where she should have just been happy. Uh, anything was working. Mm hmm. And then finally, uh, Chester says, FYI, a doctor in New York will get a special icon on their plates, not a vanity plate that says ass man. Yeah, and, but it's a little arrogant of Chester to link 
you know, with the icon to link to his own Maserati. I feel like he's, oh, I didn't you know, click on the hyperlink. In the yeah, email. he's he's linking to. No, I'm just kidding. I don't even think he owns it <laughs> in the city. But uh, um, I, you know, I, I I think he's right. I think you get the MD plates in in every state nowadays. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe that he was like some sort of uh, what what's it called? Uh, like on Grey's Anatomy, what are they, he's like some sort of a resident and maybe he was just like become he didn't get the plates yet that's that doctor is a resident he's like <laughs> yes, a thousand <laughs> years old no i was talking about that kramer telling the security guard oh that, that kramer's a resident all right so, okay. so you're saying that the actual ass man plates should have some sort of md on them oh of course like, yeah the ass man plates need to have an md on them. i mean maybe the ass man is not the car he takes to work maybe the ass man is like his ferrari that he keeps in the garage that's a good point too. That's yeah. a good point. He he might he might and have he get to uh, work that day. He's he's taking a taxi. Well, he's a, well, he he's has, the best proctologist in the city. He can afford a second car. I guess so. All right, Keeve, what's the hashtag here? Ooh, I don't know. Do you yeah. have do you have anything written down? <laughs> I have uh, a couple things. Uh, one is uh, Ask Man <laughs> going back okay. to the beginning of the show. I also have Karma, C A R M A. Okay, I like that one. You do? You like it that Jerry uh, pissed off Putty and then immediately needed the mechanic? Yeah, I think CRMA is good. Okay. Keeve, do you have any iTunes reviews for this week? Yes. Yeah, so last week I gave, uh, a, I gave a listener some homework because I said we had, uh, we had all these reviews on the post-show recaps feed, which were also on that feed. But people who gave the post-show recaps feed... Uh, should you know reviews should also give the Seinfeld I said also I even said uh, and I went back to listen to the last few minutes I think the first time I've ever listened to one of my podcasts oh wow um, I, I listened to the last 10 minutes just to make sure that I wasn't uh, you know like encouraging people to delete reviews on Poster Recaps but one of the listeners who gave a review on uh, on Poster Recaps writes in as follows SJ Lemley revised the 100th episode review at the behest of Akiva Wieneker, this review was violently removed from the post-show <laughs> recap site and transplanted here where it rightfully belongs. I'm hoping this will end all the threatening phone calls. I, you already know that's a lie. I don't call anybody. My phone hasn't been on since like four days ago. My apologies to all the parties involved. Anyway, here you go. SJ Lemley, we love you for giving the five stars. But I, I, I very clearly said copy and paste, not, mm. not delete the review on post-show recaps. Or even worse, give them a bad review. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. But uh, I guess this helps with my flame war with the post-show recaps Twitter feed. That I'm <laughs> taking away reviews from the post-show recaps and giving it to us. But the good news is a lot of people sent in reviews. Um, the, uh, Jeff P29 says, love this podcast. That's a must listen for any Seinfeld fan. He gives five stars. K Atai says, I look forward to this podcast every week. The Seinfeld recaps are great. The random discussions of Robin Akivav. Uh, get into a very enter- uh, highly entertaining, great show. Brooke Z.A. sounds like a nice guy. <laughs> he says, Keeve and Rob are great. Not only do they recap each episode of Seinfeld, they also have great banter and tangents. Only these two guys could spend an hour and a half talking about a 22-minute Seinfeld episode. Close Seinfeld it two hours laugh, this week. <laughs> yeah, you'll love this podcast. And Face Soulless, also five stars, says, I listen to nearly every podcast that Rob does. I feel like I hang out with them all week at work. He was by far my favorite co-host and could join me and Rob in my office any day of the week. The sheer nonsense of bringing down an 18-year-old show as if it's the most relevant current piece of pop culture of the day is just too much fun. 
now I like this part. The chemistry between these two guys is so funny. I have no idea how it is that Nicole and Akiva's wife are not peeing their pants laughing every day with these two guys around. Uh, they, and they couldn't be further from peeing their pants. <laughs> yeah, they're peeing their pants like with, you know, giddiness. About, Just, you know, they're, yeah, they're happy. We we're ha- they're happy we're talking about Seinfeld for two hours. At the moment, uh, I walk downstairs, there will be nothing but just like uh, contempt. Face <laughs> uh, he, uh, he or she ends the review with, we need to get a marriage correspondent to weigh in on how they're missing all of this. Mm, that, That's a good question. Oh, that will be uh, the day of the biggest fight uh, that I ever have with my wife when I tell <laughs> her that, you know what? I've brought in a marriage counselor because that we can't understand why you don't think I'm funnier. That why why don't you get why don't you understand me? Why don't you, don't you get me? You appreciate my sense of humor. I want to talk to a marriage counselor about this. That would just be that would be it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a good idea, but I do. I appreciate the all those reviews. We're back to a, yes. a five star overall rating. You know, I've, uh, we're 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 coming at poster recaps for most uh, reviews total. We're we're almost there. Good, good. And you, I think this was one of our best shows uh, that we've done. Uh, la- laughing the whole time through. Uh, if you enjoyed it as much as I did, uh, we do appreciate your feedback and star ratings at postshowrecaps.com slash. Seinfeld iTunes, or I think at this point, I think you could search Seinfeld in the iTunes store. I think it's the first thing that comes up, just to be, just putting that out there. Or Game of Thrones. You search Game of Thrones. We're, <laughs> we're, we're with that SEO. We're, we're not the first that comes up. I know there's like 10 or 11 podcasts Chester listens to first, uh, and then probably ours. I think it comes up. I, I do think that I just did a search of Seinfeld in the iTunes store, and I do think that it's the first, the first result now. Yeah, and we love Scott St. Pierre, but this is the third straight week he did not write in the title of the episode not a Game of Thrones podcast, which yeah. was a clearly an explicit instruction. Yeah. Um, and then also thanks to uh, Mike Moore, uh, who does the uh, episode recaps for us on the post show recaps. Uh, just uh, r- real quick, since you brought it up and I feel like that we're in a safe place uh, two hours into a Seinfeld uh, recap. Yeah, I, I have tried to get my wife to go to marriage counseling. I- I've said we should go and she says, no, she won't go because she feels like I that that I will uh conspire with the with the marriage therapist <laughs> to gang up on her. Oh boy. See that's the problem. Yeah, I think she says you're so manipulative, you will <laughs> to, like twist the, her words around. She she's worried that I will like out debate her in the marriage. Well, I think you're she's probably worried correctly worried <laughs> that you're going to be doing material the whole time. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like she's she's worried about in this like final tribal council scenario that I will present an argument that will br- put the uh, marriage therapist on my side and that she does not want to uh, engage in that sort of activity. I feel like every sort of it when it's a two person scenario, I guess it's generally like couples counseling. Mm-hmm. The the I, I would guess and we need like a therapist correspondent writing in on this. I guess that 100 percent of the time. The therapist picks the person they like mm-hmm. and just sort of like judges it from their point of view. Yeah. And you know what? I feel like uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm open. I'm open to that. That's why I want to go. I feel like I have a good case. You'll take you'll you'll take your chances. I want my, my, my like. day in court. Right. Not, not divorce <laughs> court, but I feel like uh, <laughs> like hear me out. Anyway. All right. Uh, but that's why I podcast. Uh, because uh, I get to at least at least tell my side of the story. Okay, Akiva, great job today. This is really I, I, I'm being sincere that this was one of my favorite uh, podcasts that we've done. Yeah, I don't like sincerity, but I appreciate that. <laughs> and next week we have the Diplomats Club. We're almost done with season six. We have 
George needing to find an African American that poses as friend. Mm-hmm. We have uh, we have Jerry trying to meet a supermodel at the airport lobby, and Kramer gets either on or off the wagon. We never really settled that debate, but uh, the gambling wagon that is. Yeah, you know, I feel like that I have only like the vaguest recollection about this episode going into next week's recap. You know, you said a couple weeks in a row. I feel like you were up to like I don't know what you were up to in May of 1995, where you like a senior in college and like just deciding to start studying. No, I was I would have been in 11th grade uh, okay oh so maybe it's like oh you had a girlfriend or something yeah right like, not- <laughs> i said i said a i said a uh a junior in high school not oh junior, not a junior oh, in college like, just, I, maybe you were like stuffed in a locker every day and you didn't get home by eight nine o'clock to watch yeah. Sunfather. Uh, <laughs> i'm trying to think but i feel like that the episodes that like the like the, the jimmy if you silly jerry i mean i feel like that these are these are ones that i feel like um you know have particularly stood out especially this one uh, I feel like uh, that, you know, the rewatch was just like a like a nice reminder as opposed to a couple of them that I'm just going back. I'm like, boy, I don't remember anything from this other than just like the barest of the details. So I'm excited. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's pro- generally quality of how good the episode is, because you've probably seen every episode an equal amount of times. Like mm-hmm. they don't air the better episodes in syndication more often. Yeah. All right. Well, looking forward to that next week. Looking forward to your comments as well on postshowrecaps.com. Have a good one, everybody. Take care. Bye.